Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 7th of March, year of our Lord, 2020. we got a good show today. we got Chuck Schumer threatening SCOTUS. That's always fun. That's some good stuff. Some more violent left. Some more dropouts. A media hit. News social media nuggets with some good stuff on the backside. Before we started, I wanted to welcome some new cities to the show. Um, went through the stats the other day. <clears throat> the wife was finishing a really bad show, so I was dorking around on the old PC. Renton, Washington, Commerce Township, Michigan. Welcome aboard. Alcuda, Spain. Gracia, Benavides, or Benavido. That's as good as I could get on Spanish, sorry. I looked up the masculine or the feminine because I don't know who it is. But you had 50 listens. And I welcome you aboard. Blackpool, Britain. I'm chuff to the bits. I looked up a saying. I know that's cheeky. Or you guys would call me a whole bunch of other names. But I just wanted to look up something British. And Cambodia. Sam Akun. That's thank you. I think. If Google's right. So, (laughs) welcome aboard. Excuse the blowing the nose will be something will happen. Um... Got the flu. Got it for my wife. I do not have corona. I just got the flu. It's very high in our area. We went out, and my wife had it, and then she gave it to me. Yeah. A lot of visits to the toilet and boogery. So this is going to be kind of gross at times. I'm going to try as much to do it during the breaks. But every once in a while, I'm going to have to get the sniffles out so you can actually hear what I'm saying. So... Let's, uh, after we've done the thank you for listenings, let's go straight into our violent left. Bullies don't win. And I said, maybe they don't. Because we're going to go in there, we're going to impeach them all. Talking about women's reproductive rights when you go to dick. No, I've had two abortions. I don't give a fuck. It's my body. And realize the biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. All punches are not equal morally. And they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. We are here to send these folks a message, not on our watch. So let me ask you, my friends, are we going to let Republicans undo a woman's right to choose? Are we going to stay quiet as they try to turn back the clock? Are we going to give up or waver when things get tough? No, we're going to stand together in one voice and take a stand 
on behalf of women and families throughout the country. We're going to stand against all these attempts to restrict a woman's right to choose, and we will win. Thank you. God bless you. On to victory, everybody. Oh, the tolerant left. Because remember, nobody can have a different opinion on abortion. You must be for codifying Roe, which means when babies come out alive and the mom goes, Yeah, I wanted blue eyes, let it die. That's a woman's right to choose. Yeah, that's what they say. So he came down to say it. And I want to make sure you understand what he said. Here is a parsed soundbite. I played the full soundbite. Here's the parsed. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind. And you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Threatening SCOTUS, something they said Trump's done a million times, and he's talked about Supreme Court, lot of lot of data. National Reviews, Alexander DeSantis was outside, and here are tweets. A reminder of what's at stake in June medical abortion clinics are challenging a Louisiana law requiring providers to have admitting privileges at local hospitals in case of emergency. Once again, if you were for the health of women... It is a vacuum cleaner with razor blades. They also have devices that they put on with rolling blades so they can chum up that baby. Yeah, somebody, I think Tiller invented it. Isn't he a great guy? You could get the cervix. You could get the lady parts. People get fucked up and bleed out. Watch unplanned, folks. It happens. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer stopped by to show his support for the pro-abort crowd and to say some things about SCOTUS. I'm here in front of the Supreme Court for as the court uh, considers June medical. And Chuck Schumer is addressing the pro-abortion crowd. Lots of boos when he mentions Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. Schumer, I want to tell you, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Gorsuch, you unleash a whirlwind and you will pay the price. George Bonilla in which Chuck Schumer threatens two sitting associate justices of the Supreme Court of the United States. Is that so, Senator Schumer? Ah, Chuck, what are you thinking? That was Seth Mandel. Other people, excuse me? Alex F. Baldwin, is that a threat? That sounds like a threat. I would think that a senator threatening some SCOTUS justice is a bad look. This is why we have lifetime appointments to protect the integrity of judicial decisions and to shield judges from... Threats from the executive and legislative branches. So which brave firefighter will confront Schumer? And they included Brian Seltzer and Aaron Blank. Where are the rhetoric police when Schumer's trying to intimidate SCOTUS justice? AG conservative asked. Stephen, Stephen L. Miller or Red States. I remember when threatening SCOTUS justice was Banana Republic stuff that caused massive vapors on CNN and in the newsrooms of the Democracy Dies in the Darkness post. Yeah, 
Jay Malik. Sounds like a senator threatening judges. I was told this kind of intimidation was bad for our freedoms. Hey, guys. Yo, journalist. Anyone want to chime in? Brian Seltzer, Aaron Blank. Democracy is literally at stake. <laughs> Three weeks ago, and this is brought to you by Right Wing M., Chief Justice Roberts should speak out and directly defend the independence of the federal judiciary. Senator Schumer today threatening you will pay the price. You won't know what hits you if you forward with these awful decisions. So you know the media is going to be all on board. Chris Hayes, supposed threat he's quoting is literally almost verbatim what Kavanaugh told the Senate Judiciary Committee. No, that's not what he says. He was actually saying you'd reap the world when and we politicize things. You know, you just know what the media said. He, he's a good dude. So is this all a distraction from the fact that a major abortion rights case is being heard right now? Well, I'm a champion of women's reproductive rights as fundamental human rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's productive for a senator to publicly... Uh, rebuke Supreme Court justices mm-hmm. before a ruling. I mean, we have yeah. constitutional separation of powers for a reason. And the fact is, if this had happened in reverse, uh, then I'm sure Chuck and many other Democrats would be very, very upset about it. Well, we were. It has happened. It has happened. It has happened in reverse. Happened in reverse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Trump does and it, that it was, it was yeah. terrible. Then. Uh, uh, then it's not great uh, if Democrats do it either. But he did make also, he did, excuse me one minute. He did make the point, though, and everybody should know, that if abortion rights are repealed, a lot of people will lose their seat, and he was warning them about that. Right. The good thing about this whole conversation is that it's reminding people, voters, that you're not just voting for a president. You're voting for a Supreme Court. You're voting for certain rights being taken away from you. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to keep that in mind. So in a way, it reminds people of that. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. It is worth noting that Senator Schumer's office then clarified that he was talking about a a political price. Um, But this is not the first time we have seen this court politicized from both sides. You will pay the price. Uh, Chuck Schumer said that coming from any senator on either side of the aisle, deeply disturbing, reprehensible, and it it certainly uh, justifies an apology. Well, I'm sure if Mitch McConnell, Mika, is going to criticize uh, Chuck Schumer for what he said, he will attack Donald Trump for, well, for the past three, three and a half years, attacking federal judges, attacking the federal judiciary, attacking the independence of federal judges. And I'm sure John Roberts, the Chief Justice of the, of the United States Supreme Court, will do the same since he went out and attacked Chuck Schumer yesterday, and he certainly should have. He should have mm-hmm. been critical. I'm, I'm expecting him to do the same as the President, of course, attacks federal judges, as the, the President of the United States did there in the Roger that. Stone case. I'm really excited <laughs> to see what John Roberts has to say about a President attacking a federal judge uh, in a trial involving one of the president's own political cronies. That's, when he says something about that, that's going to be good. All right, Bolo, be on the lookout. First, what you should not accept. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. 
You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. I don't like it. Senator Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, look, I know Trump says the same crap. That's why it's wrong. I get Schumer's concerns and many of yours about undoing Roe v. Wade. It's real. You're just not helping by appearing to threaten justices. If you act like what you oppose, how are you any better? And that's not go high when they go low. That's reality. Now, it drew a rare rebuke from Chief Justice Roberts, who not only called Schumer's comments inappropriate, but dangerous. But you know what? He's a problem, too, here. Why hasn't he said that about Trump? He is the worst when it comes to respecting the judiciary. He had the gall, Trump, to say action should be taken against Schumer, that he wants to enforce civility. You want to enforce civility, Mr. President? This is easy. Start with yourself. And they wonder why so many of you think so little of them. It's a problem. They should fix it. To turn now to the fireworks at the Supreme Court today. The justices today hearing a key case on abortion rights. It's a big test for President Trump's picks. Justices Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. Outside the court, Senate Majority uh, Leader, Minority Leader, I should point out, Chuck Schumer, with a heated warning. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. So let's bring in our senior national correspondent, Terry Moran, tonight. And Terry, uh, because the Chief Justice John Roberts delivering a rare rebuke late today to Senator Schumer. That's right, David. Uh, a sharp and extraordinary rebuke uh, to Senator Schumer. In this case, the, the justice saying just a little while ago, threatening statements of this sort from the highest levels of government are not only inappropriate, they are dangerous. All members of the court will continue to do their job without fear or favor from whatever quarter. Now, Senator Schumer's office fired back, claiming that the senator was talking about the political price that Senate Republicans would face. But in 2018, Justice Brett Kavanaugh replaced Kennedy, joining on the court President Trump's other nominee, Neil Gorsuch. On the steps of the court today, Senator Chuck Schumer leveled a warning to them both. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. That prompted a rare rebuke from Chief Justice John Roberts, who called the comments threatening, inappropriate, and dangerous. Oh, the spin was unbelievable. Because remember, when it's on our team, hey, it's all good when you're on our team. Alex Griswold, context here clearly matters. Kavanaugh was warning that the country would reap the whirlwind in a karmic sense due to breakdown in civility, norms, etc. He was not promising to bring the actual whirlwind. Frank Thorpe, Chief Justice Roberts, responds to Schumer. Justices know that criticism comes with the territory, but threatening statements of this sort from the highest level of government are not only inappropriate, they're dangerous. Yes, they are. Red states. By the way, this is where CNN will ignore Schumer's comment and jump straight to, but Trump, Ellie Mistel from CNN, but he says nothing about Trump, Vijay Gupta, the absence of Trump was noticed by me too, and then the world started shoving back, NPR politics, and an extraordinary move, Supreme Court Justice John Roberts has publicly pushed back against Trump criticism in Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. There's three or four. Jay Malik, 
would be a shame if L.A. did a quick Google search, would really make him and his tweet look so fucking stupid. Jeffrey Collins, you do realize Roberts has publicly announced him. How did he respond back? Once in three years, he said nothing about McConnell stealing the court. He said nothing about Kavanaugh threats to punish his enemies. He said nothing when Trump attacked Sotomayor and Ginsburg last week. He's not stealing the court. He's doing what all administrations do. If you're conservative, you're ser- conservative. Kate Ringa. Schumer fires back saying that he was referring to the political price Senate GOPers will pay for putting the justice on the court. Adds that Roberts inter- interpreting his comments this way while mum on Trump's attack on Lib Justice shows he does not just call balls and strikes. Joyce Allen. Whether you think Schumer's comments are warranted or not for Chief Justice Roberts to reprimand him after permitting so much Trump and then the whole world goes, here you go. Here they are. He didn't. Roberts has spoke out. It's happened. You're an idiot. Stephen Miller. I'm just going to keep resending this thread to people. Meriden McCardle. Schumer spokesman tells me Schumer's comments is a reference. Major grassroots movement on the issue of reproductive rights against the decision. What, what grassroots? There wasn't that many people there. Most people understand they're not trying to close down the clinic. They're trying to make them safer. Noah Rothman says Schumer and his defenders are bringing up what Trump said about RGB and Sotomayor to establish some equivalence of the majority leader's comments. Let's review them. It's very obvious, Trump said at a news conference in India where he was wrapping up a 36-hour trip, Justice Ginberg should recuse herself because she went wild during the campaign when I was running. Perhaps she was for Hillary, Trump said. I just don't know how they cannot recuse themselves with anything having to do with Trump or Trump-related, the president said. He said Sotomayor, who was appointed by Obama, is trying to shame people with perhaps a different view. There's a big difference. Gorsh doesn't go out and talk about candidates. RGB and Sotomayor do. They talk directly about the president. They attack the president constantly. James Hassan. Robert just called out Trump on multiple occasions, both during the campaign during Trump's presidency. Doubling down on this attack is outrageous. And once again, just shows that the whole purpose of this campaign against court is to intimidate the justices to protect Roe. Jerry Dunleavy. Schumer tries to argue that he wasn't attacking Gorsh. Noah Rothman. Let's leave the merits of the statement aside. What is Schumer's endgame here? How would you define the conditions for victory in this bizarre feud with SCOTUS? This is a fragrant misrepresentation of what Schumer actually said, and it doubles down on attacking justices by name. Just to be clear, Schumer threatened Gorsh and Kavanaugh. He threatened them. Somebody brought up and did a short article... Every damn must be asked, do you agree with Schumer? That's all those clappy hands that liberals do on Twitter. Mm Mm-hmm. We're clapping hands. Every fucking one should be asked, but they won't. Because the media drop us like a bad habit. You heard the sound bites? There's hardly any. It's okay. It's on our team. He's right. Those bad conservatives... Want to take away abortion? No, they don't. 
It's a state fucking law. Once again, Roe v. Wade just says it, you can't stop abortion. Roe v. Wade did not say you couldn't put limits on abortion. States couldn't say, well, you can't abort your baby in the third trimester. States couldn't say, hey, if we're going to do these abortions and have fucking fucking robot fucking razors grilling around in a woman's gooch, maybe we should fucking have a doctor that can appoint it. But see, New York, his state, they've said that the janitor can mop and he can also do abortions. Anybody can give abortions. You don't have to be a PA. You just can be anybody. Go take a fucking night course on abortions and stick a fucking razor blade up a woman's gooch. Some states say that's not safe and we could hurt the mother. So here's the deal. You got to have somebody with admitting privileges near a hospital 30 miles away. You got to have hallways that aren't an office building so you can take out a goddamn gurney because the lady might be bleeding to death, which happens. That's all they're saying. Yes, it's a way to shut down mom and pop clinics. But if this was such an important issue to Planned Parenthood and all you ghouls out there, because that soundbite, there's some ghouls. We're going to talk about it. Folks, you you, you can build it the right way. You're Planned Parenthood. You make $1.5 billion a year. Like a little wider hallway and having one person on the payroll at each clinic that is a mini privileges. They don't have to work all the time. They just got to be there. That's pretty easy. Lawrence Tribe, a liberal. These remarks by Senator Schumer were inexcusable. Roberts was right to call him on his comments. I hope the senator, whom I've long admired and consider a friend, apologizes and takes back this implicit threat. It's beneath him in the office. Brett Hume, Schumer's threats against Gorsuch and Kavanaugh not even playing well amongst lefty legal scholars. And they weren't. <clears throat> Sheldon Whitehouse, as the architect of the 80-case barrage of partisan 5-4 to four decisions for big Republican donor interests, Roberts has zero credibility playing umpire and political squabble. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse rises to defend Schumer's attack against the Supreme Court. Sheldon Whitehouse never stops going for the gold on most asinine commentary was response. Some senators are trying to bring a motion to censor Schumer. It's not going to happen because they're going to get away with it because they always do. And then let's really look at who are the political people. Is it Gorsuch? Is it Kavanaugh? Is it Roberts? No. Ginsburg and Sotomayor are the most political justice. On February 21st, Sotomayor created a national spectacle by issuing a strident dissent from the Supreme Court's 5-4 order to stay a district court injunction against Trump's administration implementation of rule enforcing the Immigration and Nationality Act policy of withholding green cards from aliens who are likely to become public charge. Her opinion was distinctive in his attack, both on Trump administration and her colleagues for siding with it on the subject of nationwide injunction. On the former, claiming one emergency after another, the government has recently sought stays in an unprecedented number of cases demanding immediate attention and consuming limited court resources in each. On the latter, she called the conservative colleagues all too quick to grant the government's request and concluded, perhaps most troubling, the court recent behavior on stay applications has benefited one litigant over all others. She blamed her fellow justices for nothing short of, get this, a breakdown in appellate process. 
Sotomayor is correct about the unprecedented part because there has been a serious judicial aberration and a breakdown has taken place in a limited number of injunction-happy trial courts. By getting it backwards, a diatribe effectively condones this aberration, which attacking those colleagues who put the brakes on it. The fact of the matter is, nationwide, the left has blocked everything Trump does. It would be un-American. It would be disrespectful of the office of the POTUS. It would be racist under Obama. They blocked everything. They've gotten liberal courts and liberal fucking juries to fucking do all sorts of shit that is just unheard of. So that even when he tried to employ a same-as-Obama immigration policy and not let randos come in from terrorist nations when you could not confirm who the fuck they are, by the time he could actually implement it, we got people in the country. Nationwide injunctions which grant itself to parties outside the case which is not necessary to do so to redress the injuries of plaintiffs or in class action contests did not exist before the since injunction is ordered in 1963. Afterwards, according to the Justice Department, they were exceedingly rare until the Reagan administration. But even between Reagan and Bush administration, courts ordered only 1.5 nationwide injunctions per year, a number that increased to 2.5 during the Obama administration. Under Trump, that annual average has skyrocketed to fucking 18 injunctions per year by the left. And then this article breaks down what RGB has done. It's fucking non-stop. Non-fucking-stop. Who has played games with the courts? The only time you liberals could say somebody did that was George Bush in Florida. You could say it then. But now? Oh, no, no, no. It's the left. So, time to play the ghouls, the things that were actually said, followed by a quick soundbite from CBS that some people call abortion murder. But I want you to hear this first soundbite. This is reminiscent of the Women's March. That the most important thing for women in the United States is to be able to kill their babies. And it's just fucking disgusting. We're the abortion providers at! We're the future abortion providers at! Woo! Awesome! And a special shout out to where my people who had abortions. Where y'all at? Nothing about this work is gonna be without us! Woo! Awesome! So, as I said, I had an abortion when I was 19. It was honestly one of the best decisions of my life. I was simply not ready to become a parent, and that's really all you need to know! So, I'm really excited to be here. Obviously, over the last 10 years, it's been really difficult to see all of the restrictions. Like so many Americans, I had taken Roe for granted. I assumed that it would always be upheld. But then, then, the extreme abortion bans began passing, somewhat quietly at first, state by state. I was doing my late night talk show at the time, busy tonight, and I read a story of a girl who was pregnant at 14 years old in Ohio and was being denied abortion services. 14 years old, and the state was determining her destiny. Strangers and their own personal...
personal beliefs. Like so many Americans, I had taken Roe for granted. I assumed that it would always be upheld. But then, then, the extreme abortion bans began passing. Somewhat quietly, at first, state by state, I was doing my late night talk show at the time, Busy Tonight, and I read a story of a girl who was pregnant at 14 years old in Ohio and was being denied abortion services. 14 years old, and the state was determining her destiny. Strangers and their own personal beliefs. Oral arguments in the case of a Louisiana clinic that is now going to require all of its physicians to have privileges at a hospital within 30 miles. It's most interesting because it has nothing to do with health care. It has everything to do with politics because abortions are one of the safest procedures you can do on an outpatient basis. Safer than doing an endoscopy or um, doing uh, a wisdom teeth extraction. This past year, I realized, my, 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 are they obsessed with our bodies, how we talk, how we look, what we stand for. I mean, this type of policing of our bodies is so interconnected to all the social justice movements all around the country. I represent the third poorest congressional district in the country. This issue is an economic justice issue. This issue is a racial justice issue. And let me tell you, this obsession with our bodies. You know, I, in the legislature, in the Michigan legislature for six years, used to say people to people, yo, yo, you know what? You're so freaking obsessed with what I decide to do with my body. Maybe you shouldn't even want to have sex with me or with you or with any woman. The power that we have over our bodies to push back and use that power and saying enough is enough. We won't stand by for you to commercialize, for you to profit, for you to do all the things you do to what? To make us less than in this country. Because that's what it does. So I want you to know there's more of us than them. There are more of us. There's been a campaign of misinformation, disinformation around what it means to uh, to access abortion. It is one of the safest medical procedures there is, and um, and these are. Well, you would call it safe. Some people would call it murder. Well, for the patient, right? I think that that's what we're talking about. I mean, there there are, and, and this was brought up yesterday. There are there are you know moral arguments with respect to to accessing abortion, um, but it is it is the the law of the lamb that a, the woman seeking abortion has the right to have access to one. And so, so it is incredibly. Can you connect the dots to the bigger picture at what's at stake here when you look at this law and you look at Roe v. Wade? Absolutely. Understand this movement is—it's a fucking mafia. It's so bad that Planned Parenthood has so much clout that Hallmark was scared to air an award they were giving to the movie Unplanned. They didn't even air it. After the gay mafia attacked them, they were afraid of the abortion. Here's a soundbite. It's all glory to God. And if no one remembers our names when this is over, please remember this. God is so real. He loves you so much. He has a plan for your life. Life is precious. And to every woman facing a crisis situation, 
please know that you can be successful and be a mother and that children will enrich your life along the way. Thank you. The actress from the movie, Ashley Bratcher, Outraged, Movie Guide Awards recently aired on Hallmark Drama and Unplanned Movie, and I were nominated. We're the only nominees who are not recognized. Hallmark has erased us from the show and refused to acknowledge us as a nominee. This is completely unacceptable, Hallmark Channel. Since fans voiced their outrage, the Hallmark Channel has agreed to re-air the broadcast with Unplanned included on Wednesday. Hallmark said the following email to media outlets. We have scheduled the Movie Guide Awards to re-air on Hallmark Drama on March 9th at 10 p.m. It will also be available on TV Everywhere app. All telecasts will include mentions of the film Unplanned and its lead actress, Ashley Bratcher. We at Crown Media extend our sincere apologies to Miss Brancher. Because they guessed wrong. Hallmark people aren't for killing babies. They went to that very successful movie. Hallmark used to be about wholesome, Christian, love, Christmas. Now, oh no, we got bashed for moving a commercial that none of our people really wanted to see anyway. And we're bending the knee to people that don't even watch Hallmark because we're scared. That's how much power they have. Then there's this one. Reality dating contest forced to choose abortion. Another would destroy me. This was on a Netflix show. Surprise it even fucking aired. Nobody on the left wants to talk about this. I told him, I think I might be pregnant. And immediately he's in problem-solving mode. Well, how are we going to fix this? Like, it wasn't... Oh, God. It's... No, I got you. I, I, I know where you're at. I know what's going on. I don't have kids right now. So obviously I, I didn't... I, I it didn't follow through with the pregnancy. And it was the... Oh, fuck. You're okay. You're okay. It was... It's really the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. I was still learning, you know, what it meant to be in love with somebody. And because I loved him so much, I I had an abortion. not exactly something that's like I'm proud of after the fact we're just talking and like I'm telling I'm like I'm trying to explain what I'm going through like I'm having a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning I don't eat I get, I'm not really sleeping it's this was supposed to be my other half and his reaction he goes why don't you just get over it you just need to get over it already like move on that is the last thing in the world you want to hear like I need to know if a situation like that comes up and an unexpected pregnancy happens, I'm not going to be... I, I won't be forced to choose. I can't survive that again. Like I just, I, It would destroy me. Our media shouts abortion. They don't talk about the, the byproduct of abortion. The mental health issues from it. While all this is going on, a nation rising walls, New York Times suddenly finds sanctuary cities a problem. Pro-life ones. Yeah, 
They think it's wrong to have pro-life. They're attempting to wall themselves off from rules they disagree with. Laws imposed by higher authorities that do not match their values. Down at the bottom, the Times suddenly recognized that many consider sanctuary cities illegal or unconstitutional. Many opponents of sanctuary cities either kind say they are illegal. Supreme, Supreme Court reporter Adam Lippick also covered June Medical Services versus Russo, placing an emphasis of sympathy wholly on the pro-abortion side. Kathleen Pittman, the director of Hope Medical Group for Women, remember when there were 11 abortion clinics in Louisiana, now there are only three. As for the waiting period, she said, for me, it was okay. She and her boyfriend said, needed some time to really think about it, to really make sure that this is what we have to do. Sympathy was only offered from one side. At the clinic, Miss Pismas said she was sometimes on the verge of despair. Yeah. CNN, SCOTUS reporter, goes full fangirl for Ginsburg abortion questioning. And they covered that. Oh, that's great. She's She's challenging it. And while it's going on, Representative Ilian Omar, abortion is health care, abortion is constitutional right. Two accused sexual predators should not be deciding whether or not women have access to health care in this country. Who are the sexual predators? It's still their butt hurt that they they lost Gorsuch seat and they got Kavanaugh and they're just butt hurt. Somebody asked her, how is a procedure that at least 50% of the humans involved get murdered? Not murder. Jason Howerton, let's hear it for all the people of abortions. You heard it. Apparently trans folks aren't included in all the people, I guess, from same rally where Schumer threatened Justice Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Heck yeah, let's kill those babies. Yeah. But I was told nobody celebrates abortion. Sean Davis, I wasn't aware that a wisdom teeth extraction ended with a dead baby 100% of the time. This broad is a total ghoul. Good grief. At least try to have a little tact. That's a representative, too. Safer than getting your wisdom teeth. Rashida Tlaib, today's abortion rally. Yo, yo, you know what? You're so freaking obsessed with what I decide to do with my body. Maybe you shouldn't even want to have sex with me. Adds that pro-life Pauls are commercializing women's bodies to make them less than. No. We're just saying you shouldn't be able to murder a baby. And it's a baby in the second trimester. They live at 23 weeks, dipshits. It's called science. You're supposed to be the party of science, but you still call a baby in the third trimester a clump of cells. Bloomberg News bemoans abortion clinic going out of business because they're not getting enough business and it's too hard to do because you have to follow all the rules and actually be a medical clinic. There are very few articles out there that aren't pro-abort. They're, they're just not. Here's one. Former NFL star... At CPAC, now's the time to make a move to end abortion. Benjamin Watson. There are people that want to do that. And guess what? It's their right. They have the right to believe that. They have the right to work for it, just like you have the right to do New York laws where you in Virginia, where you codified Roe, and let babies just come out and not be wanted and 
Well, we'll just give it comfort till it fucking croaks. We'll starve it to death. Yeah. that That's pretty much what you think. Here's CNN's legal guy on the whole Schumer thing. I mean, if you parse what Chuck, uh, what Chuck Schumer said, it was wrong. It was inappropriate. It was not the way you should talk about the Supreme Court. Frankly, no one noticed what he said until Roberts uh, intervened. I mean, it was political hyperbole of a sort that politicians shouldn't engage in. It is true that the chief justice once rebuked uh, the president. But it chose not to, and this is where some liberal defenders of Chuck Schumer speak up, the chief justice chose not to say anything in the last few weeks when President Trump was talking about Justice Sotomayor and Ginsburg. Right. And, you know, again, if you want to start parsing what everyone said, the president did not say about Roberts, about uh, Ginsburg and Sotomayor that uh, they are going to reap the whirlwind, that they're, you know, in physical danger. He said they should recuse themselves. It was a ridiculous argument. But it was a political argument. It wasn't a personal attack. And, and, and this was. And actually, you don't really have to parse what Chuck Schumer said. You just have to listen to it. I mean, he, right. he said, he said, you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you. And he said this specifically uh, to Justice Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh. I mean, I, I'm and certainly not going to defend what Chuck Schumer said. It was wrong. It was inappropriate. Uh, it, it did sound like a physical threat. I think if you look at Chuck Schumer's entire record, if you look at how he behaves, he does not threaten people physically. It was a, certainly a bad choice of words. I think it's instructive how Chuck Schumer chose to respond to the Chief Justice. And to me, it's instructive of where the discussion will be about the Supreme Court and uh, going forward. Let me read this to you. Schumer says, for Justice Roberts to follow the right wing's deliberate misinterpretation of what Senator Schumer said while remaining silent when President Trump attacked Justice Sotomayor and Ginsburg last week shows Justice Roberts does not just call balls and strikes. The Senate Minority Leader clearly, it seems to me, is embracing the political questions about the Supreme Court. A absolutely. And, and you notice that his spokesman there didn't call him the chief justice, which is the customary way of referring to John Roberts, not justice, justice Roberts, maybe in a perverse way, this dust up. And I think it's really sort of a momentary dust up will remind Democratic primary voters. This issue is important. And Neil Gorsuch and and uh, Kavanaugh may be a much more important legacy of Donald Trump than anything they actually talk about on the campaign trail. One thing is clear is that there are some politicians who see some utility in talking about this more. We just learned that the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, will make a statement about all this on the Senate floor coming up. And, and if it leads to a political discussion of the future of the Supreme Court, I think that's a good thing. Name-calling like Chuck Schumer got involved in, not a good thing. Or an agreement not to threaten people is probably a good thing. All right. If you parse... Well, is that kind of like all murderers and rapists? He didn't say that. You parsed that. They're good people there. You parsed that. Trump said it's a hoax. You parsed that. Parsing's okay on the left in the media, especially CNN. Without parsing CNN, you wouldn't have a fucking outrage. You just wouldn't. You'd have no outrage at all. You just wouldn't have it because it's it's what you do. You parse. 
everything. That's that's what you do. And I I I just think it's so fucking it's just so goddamn hypocritical. You guys literally parse everything. That that's how you do it. Only for conservatives. For everybody else, oh, we're gonna go. It's it's all good. None of this none of this is that important. He wasn't really threatening. He was just re-saying what uh, other people said. So, we're going to go to a music breakdown as we're not doing music anymore. We're going to play two sound bites. Uh, PBS likening Trump to Nazi sympathizer. And the New Yorker calling him a new thing. But I I, I, I remiss that I missed a step. But okay, so we're going to play that. Then we're going to come into... Our second wave of hate, and that's going to be people wishing ill on Trump supporters because it's so fucking vogue. But while we're talking abortion, in the United States this year, there's already been 158,676 abortions. After 16-week gestation, 8,000. 8,000. By Planned Parenthood, 65,000 already this year. In the United States today, 766. And in the time I was doing this podcast, 900 babies were aborted. Worldwide. 900. Well, I was just talking about this. A whole 40 minutes. So abortion's a problem. For a lot of people, whether you want to admit it or not, a lot of people are not down with killing babies and codifying Roe and letting them just be a live birth abortion. Mm -mm. People aren't into that. Maybe you are. But just like everything else, the right has the right to have their beliefs. And as much as the media tries to stop it, I once again submit the majority of Americans are not for federally funded or third trimester abortions. That's just the fact. You don't report it. You don't talk about it. You don't do TV shows on it. But that's where America is. And if you really lined up normal Americans and asked them about this court case, they would say, okay, why... In the name of Zeus's ass crack, does an abortion clinic have a fucking doctor that has admitting privileges? Why? What if the baby does live? What if the mother gets injured? You're supposed to be women health clinics. And you're against that because you're not. You're about how do we do it the cheapest way we can. Oh, there's an old garage over here. We're going to turn into Planned Parenthood. Or Jim's abortion clinic. And you don't want to do the actual steps to make it a medical clinic. It's a medical procedure. If you're going to say it's safer than getting your wisdom teeth taken out, well, you don't get your wisdom teeth taken out in a place that they can't rush you to the hospital if you start hemorrhaging. Checkmate, you dipwads. So, two anti-Trump sound bites, and you'll come into a bumper, and we're right into Denver Councilwoman. If I do get coronavirus, I'm attending every mega rally I can. Yeah. 
Somebody elected that person to a political office. Lindbergh is famous for his transatlantic flight, but what's lesser known are his views on politics. Before Trump's America First, Charles Lindbergh represented America First, the powerful isolationist organization. Lindbergh was pro-Germany and was denounced by many as anti-Semitic. It's sort of a warning tale, and I don't know how much of what you have committed your creativity to here sort of collides with real-life politics in the United States right now. I mean, you imagine here, 1940, presidential election, the then aviator hero, Charles Lindbergh, anti-Semitic, white nationalist, wins the presidency against FDR. Yeah, I'd like to take credit for uh, having some perception on, on, on the novel and that, that, it, that it's this vehicle, uh, uh, this prescient vehicle to explain our current political moment. But... Strangely, uh, in 2004, Philip Roth, uh, one of our great novelists, he, he wrote this alternate history uh, through the eyes of his family uh, in New Jersey, and it just sings as a allegory for our time. It, you, at, with every page, I mean, if you turn it and, and just read, it, it's sort of astonishing how close he captured this political moment in America. Do you still see it as an anti-Semitic warning, or is it about the... I guess post 9-11, you know, others, minorities who've been targeted. That's exactly right. He was looking uh, at it uh, in, in the context of his political moment, which was 2004. Um, but it, it still applies because these themes in America uh, are susceptibility to the demagoguery of nationalism, to the idea of the immigrant horde as the dangerous other, uh, the, the, the populace, the, the cohort that will not become Americans as we need them to become Americans that can't be trusted, uh, whose loyalty can be questioned. Roth was using the vulnerable group in 1940, which was Jewish Americans, whose loyalty was being challenged by uh, the America Firsters and, and, and the German-American Bund and, and Lindbergh. Um, he was using that group to tell, the, to tell the tale. But right now, the people who are vulnerable, who are most vulnerable, in, in America uh, right now are people uh, black and brown skin and, and Muslims. There are so many moments in Roth's book where I, 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 I read a page and I would think about uh, what happened at the airports, uh, the mayhem at the airports in the aftermath of the inauguration when, when even American citizens were having their uh, passports regarded as, as insufficient to guarantee their civil liberties or what's happening at the southern border right now in terms of family separation. You look at um, the programming and the, and the raw uh, manipulation of, of civil liberties that, that Roth depicts in the book, and, and they, are, um, they compare almost... You said you needed a term for the Trump effect, that the thing we're all feeling but have trouble naming, and, and you, you asked a friend to help you... Who helped you come up with this term? Okay, so I have this wonderful friend, Constanza, who is German. And you know how people are always joking, there ought to be some kind of long German word for that, you know? Yeah, there usually is. Right, so I said, is there a word for this sort of Trump soul sickness? Yes. And she said, no, but I'll make one up. So she made one up. And it's Trump, Regierungsschlamaselschmerz. <laughs> The second part is good. The schlamassel. Schlamassel schmerz. Yeah. What is it? What does it mean? I think that's technically Yiddish, actually. She Probably. might have thrown that in there. Sure. It's a good combo. What What does it mean? Well, again, I don't actually speak German. Uh, as Trump, 
You got that? Yeah. Uh, Regnerung is government. Schlamassel, it's what it sounds like, you know, craziness. And then Smurts is like soul sickness. So it's like Trump, government, craziness, soul sickness. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reid. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. The offending tweet was taken down earlier today, but Candy Sitabaka's response, hashtag solidarity, yes, lives on with more than 5,000 responses, many similar to this one. Any person that could wish harm or incites others to cause harm that could possibly lead to death has absolutely no business serving in any public position, ever. She should apologize and resign. Fox 31 received numerous emails, including one from Eric T., who writes, I am a registered Democrat and wish this disgraceful statement to be brought to light in the Denver area. There's no room for this in our state, especially not from a public official. And our Facebook page has exploded with outrage. Cindy Kruger posts, I don't care what your feelings on Trump are, Personally, I absolutely cannot stand the man, but to wish anyone ill is disturbing and wrong, even in jest. In a statement, Sitabaka's staff says her tweet was in jest, writing, Councilwoman Sitabaka made a sarcastic tweet on Twitter to call attention to the Trump administration's downplaying of the coronavirus outbreak as a hoax, no more dangerous than the common flu. Rather than conservative outlets making a four-day-old tweet their focus on Super Tuesday, they should focus their energy on demanding a competent federal response to this public health crisis instead. The notion that it's sarcastic just defies credibility. Political analyst Eric Sonderman says Councilman Sitabaka created her own blowback with a tweet he says is hard to justify, no matter your politics. It is not something to be turned into a political weapon. And that's sort of what this tweet was, was trying to weaponize the coronavirus in political terms. Now, just in the last hour, the mayor's office tells me it has received more than 100 calls and 50 emails for the day from people upset about the tweet. And a spokeswoman for the city council tells me she's received hundreds of phone calls and hundreds of emails, most demanding Sitabaka's resignation. The mayor himself has no intention of commenting on the councilwoman's tweet, but for those hoping she resigns, her chief of staff tells me, absolutely not. Rob Lowe, Fox 31. Denver Councilwoman Candy Sadabaka is getting major blowback over controversial tweets sent on Friday. For the record, if I do get coronavirus, I'm going, going to attend every mega rally I can. She responded, solidarity, yes. The tweet has received thousands of replies. Baca's office released the following statement. Councilwoman Baca, and this is only, only liberals can do this, all right? Just like Schumer, just like nobody even questioned Madonna wanting to blow up the White House. That wasn't even, like, questioned. Did you really mean that? And as we always talk about the show, no other council person's going to get asked, do you want to give everybody coronavirus? Or, hey, uh, you know, Biden, there's been a lot of Democrats saying they want to wish you know, coronavirus on Trump supporters. How do you feel about that? We don't do that. And they can make statements like this, since I segued away. Councilman DeBaca made a sarcastic tweet on Twitter 
to call attention to the Trump administration's downplaying of the coronavirus outbreak as a hoax. No more dangerous than the common flu. Rather than conservative outlets making a four-day-old tweet their focus on Super Tuesday, they should focus their energy on demanding a competent federal response to this public health crisis instead. The Colorado Republican Party released the following statement. Councilwoman DeBacca praising a social media post calling for Trump supporters to be infected with the coronavirus is simply disgusting. There can be no room in our politics for wishing harm on Americans who have different political beliefs. Democrats of Colorado and across the country need to condemn this evil statement. In light of these comments, the Colorado Republican Party is calling for her to resign immediately. Michael Three Wits. Any person that could wish harm or incite others to cause harm that could possibly lead to death has absolutely no business serving in any public position ever. She should apologize or resign. What a disgrace. Vote them all out. Cynthia Minor Kruger. I don't care what your feelings on Trump are. Personally, I absolutely cannot stand the man. But to wish anyone ill is disturbing and wrong, even in jest. She's a communist. Uh, from the Daily Wire... Sadabaka, we're just going to call her Chewbacca, who has advocated for communism in the past, responded to the tweet, featured a graphic that stated, for the record, blah, 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 blah. Down in there, uh, highlighted that the account was indeed a government account and a separate report that documented false statements that she had made about other politicians. She gained notoriety of her fringe comments she made in March 2019 during a candidate forum on City Council District 9. I don't believe our current economic system actually works. Um, capitalism by design is extradit in order to general profit and capital system. Something has to be exploited. That's land, labor, or resources. And I think that there's a late phase capitalism. We know it doesn't work and we have to move into something new. And I believe in community ownership of land, labor, resources. She's a fucking AOC. I'm excited to usher it in by any means necessary. Yeah. She's praised communist Cuba, the communist peace. I've been in places where we demonize people for many being communists. I've been to Cuba. I love Cuba. I like everything about it. Yeah. She's, uh, it's fucking, fucking just, I don't even know what to say. Sabaka so withdrew her waiver request to hire a girlfriend. I am modifying my request seeking permission with the ethics board to hire my life partner, despite her many contributions, long hours, and sacrifice to get me where I am. Instead, the waiver will simply seek permission to officially allow her to continue volunteering. I'm committed to opening up a dialogue about how appointees function in Denver and whether there needs to be a clear parameter for both city council and mayor's office. I'm open to your feedback and the ways we can make the council hiring process more transparent, which means I get to do what I want to do. Two replies. For the record, you're trash. For the record, you're disgusting. You shouldn't be representing people. Supporting bioterrorism is not a good look for any elected official. Garbage person. You should have to answer for this, but you won't. And that's true, because she's got a D, and she's female, and she's a person of color, and she's gay. So she's got the intersectionality trifecta. I was going to play the bell again, but you didn't even hear it last time, which is kind of embarrassing that I did it. You endorse this, Candy? You're a public servant. I guess the politics of hate supersede your liberal compassion. Coexist much? 
Wow, I might disagree with you politically, but I would never condone harm to you. This is sick, and you should seek professional help. Because wishing harm on others is part of the democratic platform of kindness, compassion, and tolerance. You fucking hypocrites. That's cats. Carla, oh, sorry, Carla's Nats are World Series champs. <laughs> if you bio, in your bio, you have a better world as possible, I guess that means by trying to kill off people you disagree with. This is gross. Be a better human. And lastly, Democrats, the party of tolerance and kindness. Yes. But wait, there's more. Director of Taxpayer-Funded Museum, I hope every single one of you pieces of shit that votes Republican dies today. I was really mad. That's what his excuse was. The director of a Texas museum, partially funded by taxpayer dollars, appears to be in hot water over a message she posted on Facebook on Super Tuesday. What is wrong with liberal women? I could be a sexist right now and say they really need to get laid or something, but most of them are lesbos. So to other lesbian ladies, go get them laid. Do something, man. These women are not happy. I guess that's sexist. It's just a joke, but, you know, fuck it. If you could, you know, say, I hope everybody gets coronavirus and everybody dies and threaten the Supreme Court, I have an I behind my name. Do I get do I get to do that? Because I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. That means, I, you know, I can do what I want, right? I hope every single one of you pieces of shit that votes Republican dies today, Melanie Hicks, Executive Director of the Pioneer City County Museum in Sweetwater, wrote, the station said, after word spread about Hicks' post, a controversy erupted. KTX said she issued an apology on Facebook. I was really mad at Republicans for voting against health care. Since my option today are to die or go in debt to see the doctor. It was gross, which is why I deleted it. Your option is to die or see a doctor. Really? Really? That's your options? Hmm. Okay. KTAB-TV reported that both messages were posted on Hicks' personal Facebook page and that both have been deleted. The station noted that Hicks hasn't responded to requests for comment. The museum board director is scheduled to hold a 5.30 p.m. emergency meeting Friday at Sweetwater Police Department. Hicks' comment in her future with the museum. It's regrettable and reprehensible, especially for someone who is a community leader, city manager, uh, sorry, double flipped. Uh, David Vela told the station, those kind of comments should never be made on social media or anywhere. Vela added to KTXS that the city doesn't stand by her statement and that he hopes the board makes the right and responsible choice, although the board may have a different definition of right and responsible. Let's just see what actions they take and we'll go from there. KTAB said it's unclear if Hicks is still serving as a museum director, but there's no longer a Pioneer City Museum page on Facebook and its phone was ringing all day. In addition, every board member declined any request. Um... Joe Hyde, publisher of the San Diego Live and a Republican, wrote an op-ed saying that Hicks should keep her job despite her post. I don't in the least bit threatened by Hicks' off-the-cuff comment on Facebook wishing that I die. 
I know Facebook is driven by creating engagement that procedures long visits a lot of eyeballs and its advertisers. Facebook invokes strong emotions to keep its users scrolling. The easiest emotion to cite is anger, and Facebook algorithm is quite good at turning calm and peaceful people into raging lunatics. Hicks was spending too much time on Facebook and wrote something that she regretted. She later explained her frustration and apologized, he added. Cancel culture, so prevalent today, means good people are given just one strike and they're out. Give Miss Hicks a break. She's a valuable contributor to the preservation of history in Nolan County. One strike doesn't mean you're out. Huh. Tolerance. Look at that. But it it's just not them. Politico Journo busted for trying to scare the hell out of followers and cause panic. Scary stuff happening at CDC, as Politico Blake Hounshill notes. Blake News. Whoa. CDC blocked FDA official from premises. And it's a lie. It's a lie. And everybody asks once again, hey, Brian Seltzer, where you at? Where you at? Then there's Eric Solware. My office just received a call from a constituent who yelled, I'm not falling for the Democrat coronavirus hoax. President, real Donald Trump, it's imperative people take this seriously. Your words are giving them the impression that it's not serious. You must do better. A million replies, I'll just do one. Did this happen? It's a pie graph. Yellow, no, but in yellow, no, in blue. (laughs) So basically, no. Then we got Bojangles. Yeah, this happened in Charlotte, North Carolina. I had a post making the rounds on social media, stirring up controversy for Bojangles. Take a look at these photos. These are from Monday night after President Trump's rally here in Charlotte at the Bojangles restaurant near the Bojangles Coliseum. The man who posted them says supporters of the president were locked out and denied service. WCNC Charlotte's Kendall Morris has been following this story all day. So, Kendall, how did this all start? This is where many supporters of President Trump came after that rally, only to find out that they couldn't get inside. Supporters of President Trump left outside a local Bojangles with signs still in hand. It's what Michael Furyk saw as he walked up to the restaurant. I said, hey, why is the door locked? Furyk says he didn't see a large mess in the restaurant, wondering why potential customers were locked outside. If you don't want me there, you're not going to offend me. It's not like <laughs> Bojangles, they broke me. I, you're not going to break me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not Kathy Griffin. You know what I mean? You ain't going to break me. Bojangles apologized in a statement, saying in part, Bojangles welcomes all guests to enjoy our southern food and hospitality. Earlier this week, the store near Bojangles Coliseum was overwhelmed with a large number of guests. As a result, a young shift manager made a bad decision to close the dining room. A Bojangles spokesperson says 30 minutes later, the dining room reopened. The drive-thru never closed. Furyk believes the restaurant missed an opportunity to make money. It's not all about the Bojangles. It's about every company and corporation that sits there and tries to tell us what we need to say, what we need to wear. You're not going to serve us. Yeah, you are. Or you're going to get rolled over. Since Monday, other posts like this have started circulating online accusing another Charlotte-area Bojangles of putting up an anti-Trump sign. A Bojangles spokesperson says the sign was posted by a customer, not an employee. 
Furyk says he's not making any assumptions about the employees' political beliefs, but there are other fast food restaurants that he may be visiting in the future. Reporting in East Charlotte, Kendall Morris and WCNC Charlotte. Yeah, I, I once again state, Maxine Waters, the whole Democratic establishment, do not let them go out in public. Shame them for supporting Trump. There's no repercussions from that. Chuck Todd didn't do a, the science is settled on fucking harassing people, and we're going to ask why is the left doing this to other Americans? That wasn't a show. Brian Seltzer didn't say anything. No. It, they agree with it. They're part of it. If I got on a plane and had a Trump hat on, Chuck Todd wouldn't want to sit next to you. He doesn't want to have discourse. He wants to shame you because you're uneducated. Fake feminist director of Avengers tweets, GOP is poisonous, murderous, and misogynistic. That is Mr. fucking Josh Wheaton. Uh, okay, but, uh, America, but, uh, Democrats are at least trying to do the right thing while Republicans are murderous and poisonous. Wow. But President Trump is a divisive one. In the wee hours of March 3rd, the conservative hate-hating movie man laid out his feelings on both sides of the American political aisle. Republican Party, treasonous, poisonous, murderous, racist, misogynistic. Democratic Party, struggling to do their best to help people, misogynistic. Oh, okay. The only benefit of the doubt goes to Democrats. How predictable. Mr. Wheaton, though, he added that it's because of both parties' mistrust of women that America has a problem it has, he wrote. At the end of the day, that's how they beat us. The secret ingredient, we have never confronted America's basic mistrust of women. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's why a woman isn't leading in your fucking primaries. Okay. Then you have Katie Tour once again. She got caught on the side of the road asking a rando, well, guess what happened this time? She's talking to a Latino, and it didn't go the way she thought it was. They're leading the, leading the charge? Is your daughter the one who's pushing for him? No, my daughter, my daughter is Donald. Oh, wow. Donald Trump. Pero ella por quién va a votar por por Donald? Ajá. Your daughter's gonna vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. ¿Por qué? No sé. Le encanta. Pero tu esposa. Por la economía dice que está bien, que lleva buen programa. The economy. The economy. Yeah. You don't see that too much, but it's fascinating. You know, in Latino community, um, you're seeing that there's still kind of the stubborn 10 to 15 percent of the population that is gonna uh, that continuously pulls uh, in favor of Donald Trump. So why do you think that is? You know, at least in my family, I don't know, some folks are members of law enforcement. Um, some folks, uh, you know, uh, just really focus on the economy. Um, uh, I don't know what the, re- the exact reasons are, but there, there tends to be that, that, that certain conservative um, flank within the Latino community. Just fucking shocked. Your daughter's going to vote for Trump? Response, local firefighter stunned or attempts to force Latinos not to vote for Trump has failed. Libs are always shocked and alarmed by individual thought. Yeah. Then we got Donna Brazil again. This, wow. I I don't know why people employ this person. 
I'm going to just paraphrase this whole thing. She rigged an election. She snuck questions to Hillary Clinton. She wrote the checks that went to Steele. She was in charge of the DNC. Why did Fox News hire her? But here's her going the fuck off on the female GOP chairman. We had Donna, uh, Ronna McDaniel on, Donna, earlier on the program, uh, chairman of the RNC, and she was talking about the possibility of a brokered convention, the impact that would have on Bernie Sanders. Here's Ronna. It does depend on how big the lead that Sanders takes out of California is, if he picks up a, a huge proportion of delegates. But I don't see anybody getting out soon, and it's leading towards potentially a broker convention, which will uh, be rigged against Bernie if those superdelegates have their way on that second vote. To that, you say what, Donna? First of all, I, I want to talk to my Republicans. First of all, stay the hell out of our race. Stay the hell out of our race. I get sick and tired, Ed. Uh, and Sandra, of listening to Republicans tell me and the Democrats about our process. First of all, they don't have a process. They're canceling primaries. They have winner-take-all. They don't have the kind of democracy that we see on the Democratic side. And for people to use Russian talking points to sow division among Americans, that is stupid. So, Rana, go to hell. This is not about... No, go to hell. I'm tired of it, Ed. We are not... We're not trying to prevent anyone from becoming the nominee. If you have the delegates and win, you will win. This notion that somehow or another Democrats are out there trying to put hurdles or roadblocks before one candidate, that's stupid. I know what's going on. They are, they are scared of Democrats coming together to defeat Donald Trump. They need to be focusing on what we're focusing on, the Democratic Party, and that is preventing foreign interference in our elections. Stop using Russian talking points, Madam Chair, woman. Period. All right. Stop well, using it. it Donna, with me. all due respect, makes, we have yeah. her on to, to, to talk about what she sees happening here in the same way that we but asked she's you not to. A, but, no, but Sandra, she's not a Democrat. I'm a Democrat, but I'm also an American. And I have a responsibility to make sure that the process, I know the process, Rana knows the process, but to infer that we're trying to prevent one candidate over another. That's not happening. And if there's any proof, Madam Chairwoman, any proof, Mr. President, that we're trying to somehow or another change this process for one candidate well, let's to just get take this back to the basic. Let's take this to back Show to the, the basic thing that we hear. Rourke on that stage mm-hmm. on Monday. What happened? Who put their hand? Who called? Are there Who deals called behind it? the scenes? No, no, no. Look, I know all three candidates. I also know Terry McAuliffe, Bobby Scott, and many of the other Democrats who said, you know what? It's time for me to tell my constituents where I'm going to, uh, what I'm going to do on election day. And by the way, I'm so glad I don't vote till June 2nd. So I don't have to tell you, it's like Victoria. I'm going to keep my secret. Well, what do you make of the fact that when you look, uh, you know, when they chart the history of this race? Yeah. Two weeks ago, Joe Biden was dead and it right. was all about Michael Bloomberg because Joe had made so many gaffes and it's like he really can't lead us but then we saw Michael Bloomberg and he stunk up the place with the debates and suddenly it's like okay Bernie's ahead so this is a crazy race well it's it's an unpredictable disruptive political process that we're looking at now it, it's like President Trump it's 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 built into the sauce and people know President Trump so they're like oh I don't like that tweet but I still like President Trump with Joe Biden is like mm, he, he forgot my name but so what? 
He knows exactly what I need in order to be a successful human being. I mean, look, people like Joe Biden, but I have to tell you, Bernie still has grassroots sure. support. He has an infrastructure. And whether you like him or dislike him, a lot of people uh, support him because they believe that he has a vision for the country. And mm-hmm. socialism, to them, is not about a giveaway. It's not about a takeaway. It's about making sure there's a fair um Playing field for all Americans. Donna, that is what Joe, that is what Bernie Sanders is about. Now, let me just say this, because I don't want to be a bad girl there. You know, I was a bad girl yesterday, because, you know, I'm a hot sister. Right. Um, what are you talking about? Um, what were you bad about? Michael Bloomberg. I got to be a bad girl first. How much money can you spend and not get a delegate? Well, he got four, five, right? Five in America some more. Huh? I mean, so that means next week uh, in the Northern Marinara, what, what that island is called, Virgin Islands. I mean, that is, Bloomberg has to reassess this morning. Elizabeth Warren also needs to figure out if she has a, 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 a path to right. the you, you know she doesn't. And but real quick, here's Mike Bloomberg saying, uh, talking about his future. Read between the lines with us, if you would. And tonight we proved something very important. We proved we can win the voters who will decide the general election. And isn't that what this is all about? Now, while my fellow candidates spent a whole year focusing on the first four states, I was out campaigning against Donald Trump in the states where the election will actually be decided, like Wisconsin and Michigan and Pittsburgh and Ohio and North Carolina and, of course, Florida. Russian talking points? By the end of it, it's okay, Donna Brazil. I'd be having a bad day, too, if my party was still hopelessly divided. Talk of the broker convention and the DNC trying to stop Bernie obviously hit a little close to home for her. Because it's happened before. But let's talk about that Russia, Russia, Russia. Now, there's a lot of talk out there about the amount of money that Bernie, or Michael Bloomberg spent. And, you know, I just think it's... Interesting, a lot of conservatives have been hitting this. The examples of what the Russians had reportedly purchased and promoted on Facebook was pretty funny, though. There was Photoshop of Hillary Clinton getting ready to box Jesus and a coloring book page of Bernie Sanders and Speedos. Mark Warner, this graphic of Jesus and Hillary Clinton is actually post-shared by the Russian page Army of Jesus, released during the tech hearings. The Russians reportedly spent perhaps hundreds of thousands of dollars on social media ads and pro- promoted posts. And Molly Hemingway wondered on Fox News Wednesday, which we're going to listen to in a second, how those could influence a presidential election when Michael Bloomberg blanketing of the airways only managed to win him America Samoa. Benny. Hemingway. We had years where people were saying a couple hundred thousand dollars is barely literate Facebook ads from Russia caused Donald Trump to win. Here you have a guy spending nearly a billion dollars. He went nowhere. Genuine elephant. It's like the American people actually wanted Trump to be president. David Lee Rothbard. Bloomberg could have saved millions if he worked with the Russians. (laughs) As usual, Molly is the bomb. This is indeed a great argument against all hoaxes. The people are intelligent and they make their choices and no ads or millions of dollars will sway them. So what was this Russia hoax about? Numerous people. Russia, 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 Russia. The Masternaut. The point cannot be made often enough. It lays bare the absurdity of the Russian nonsense. Stephen Wright. 200K could make a radar blip in a gubernatorial race, much less the Oval. Consider these candidates. Joe Sestak, 166, 167K. 
Mark Sanford, 128K. Wayne Massam, 127K. Mike Gabble, 93K. Seth Moulton spent $2 million, and I doubt one in a thousand Americans even knows his name. But we spent two years talking about Russia. But I also think it's interesting that Bloomberg is out. You know, we had years where people were saying a couple hundred thousand dollars in barely literate Facebook ads from Russians caused Donald Trump to win. (laughs) Here you had a guy spend nearly a billion dollars and he went nowhere. It's a humiliating defeat for Michael Bloomberg. Just just rewind a second. That is a great point. So Russia influenced the election with two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars in Facebook ads. And Mike Bloomberg couldn't get more than 50 delegates with $600 million. And that hurts Bernie Sanders' message, too, because he likes to say the billionaires control everything. Well, here, clearly, uh, Bloomberg having all this money didn't do as much for him as Biden having the media and the establishment behind him did. I would pick media and establishment over What he's getting upset about is is the rigging, talk about, like, the establishment rigging it against Bernie. It's unbelievable they got away with it. If you really look at it, it's that that's why I put it in the hate section. It was all a ruse. Another one that hits, Catherine Heritage. IG report finds homegrown violent extremism carried out 20-plus attacks since 9-11 in the U.S., some of which occurred after the FBI closed a counterterrorism investigation on them. FBI has not taken sufficient action to address weaknesses. New IG report, we found at least six attacks committed in the United States by individuals that the FBI had previously assessed or investigating, including Fort Hood, Boston Marathon, and the 2016 Pulse nightclub. Top of the page, nine of the report, if you cannot read the screening, great big failure that cost Americans their lives. But once again, during that same time period, the FBI was either... Russian bots are the most incredible people on the planet and that if you criticize them for fucking each other and trying to take down Trump with Zork and Page, you are un-American. Yeah, interesting. New York Times sees only pro-Trump partisans exploiting the coronavirus. Not covering it and jump a whole bunch, but I will cover a few articles. Coronavirus, New York Times science writer, admits Trump proven right on travel restrictions now. And then, of course, we have our outrage that Trump didn't do his briefings with video or audio. Backlash after Trump bans video audio recording for coronavirus. Five days of the Trump administration promised to be aggressive and transparent. They didn't let people bring in recording devices. The controversy decision came just hours after yet another huge drop in stock market. After a series of awkward moments on Monday and Tuesday where Dr. Anthony Facucci, the director of National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Disease, publicly explained to President Donald Trump that a vaccine for the disease cannot be available anytime soon. So, the usual cast of characters... Katie Thung, Judge Langham, Amy Siskin, Jim Acosta, David Rothschild, Noah Bierman, Weird Alex Preen. If you understand politics primarily as a narrative, and both the president and some of these people covering him do, you don't get how bad this could get. Weird Alex Perrine, again, the important thing is not to create bad TV. Ben Smith, Maggie Haberman, Laura Rosen, 
Katie Rogers, Joe Freeman, Jamelia, John DePirto Show, and the rest of the world lost their shit over it. But why did he do it? Because every time he does something, you guys parse Mr. Tobin everything he says and twist it politically. Even though the New York Times doesn't see it, everybody else does. So here's a quick soundbite of the latest craziness. CBS wonders if coronavirus will infect Trump's re-election. Ties it to Medicare for all. CBS boosts Dem Senator claiming Trump lying about virus. CNN's New Day gives Paul Krugman free time to bash GOP on a coronavirus and tax cuts. Uh, one of the things that... Uh... You know, we, a lot of people are discussing is who uh, the president has chosen to put in charge of this task force. Uh, he chose uh, Vice President Pence. Uh, is it safe to assume that you do not think that's the best of his no. options? No. Yeah. Um, I think that we should have a person who believes in science. Sure, uh, that sounds good. In charge of the Ideally, what we have is a person who believes in universal health care and paid sick leave and an agenda that can help prevent the transmission of disease. Well, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, paid sick leave, because one of the things that's been pointed out by a lot of people is, especially in the food service industry, these are people with jobs that are very important to them. Uh, you know, they're just making ends meet as it is. And, you know, they are the ones that are most likely to pass on whatever illness they have to other people. And yet they don't have that opportunity. Uh, exactly. As President Trump left the White House today. Mr. President, when will more tests be available? He ignored Mr. questions President, about the lack of tests for the coronavirus. Vice President Mike Pence had said any American would be able to get a test, but in a visit to 3M, the top manufacturer of medical masks, he acknowledged that isn't currently the case. We don't have enough tests today uh, to meet uh, what we anticipate will be the demand going forward. Democratic Senator Patty Murray, whose state of Washington has suffered an outbreak, said she wasn't sure who to believe. I have the same questions that everybody I represent have, is what is the truth? Pence is in Washington state tonight for a briefing on the outbreak. We need an administration that is capable of not only getting uh, out what is needed in this country when it's needed, but also telling people the honest truth, and that was not happening. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar said there should be enough coronavirus tests sent out this week to cover about 400,000 people, but that is still far short of demand. That experience will get better. But do not be surprised if you hear c concerns of doctors saying, I have a patient, I don't know how to get this done. Today, the Senate passed an $8 billion coronavirus funding package, which President Trump is expected to sign as soon as tomorrow. But that's over three times what the White House originally requested, suggesting the Trump administration did not anticipate the scope of this crisis. Very general question. Was the coronavirus a factor in your vote? In both those states combined, 74% of primary voters said yes, it was. Now, that could mean they're thinking about who could be a good leader. They could be thinking about health care in general. And as we know, Nora, health care has been a dominant issue throughout this primary campaign on the Democratic side. Let's ask this question. Replace all private health insurance with a government plan. This is not just in Virginia, North Carolina. This is across all Super Tuesday states. 57% replace 
Private insurance with a government plan, 37% oppose. But doesn't it also converge with this issue about what if I have to go to a hospital and have an extended stay paying for those medical bills? What if I'm not able to work and I'm dependent on showing up at work every day? I'm not a salaried employee. I don't have disability insurance. So doesn't it converge with a lot of other concerns that voters have? Absolutely. And it converges with the candidate who we haven't talked about, the current president, who faces not just the issue of public trust, but he's looking at an economy that he says is his best chance in terms of platform issue to run on for re-election. And quickly, John, does the coronavirus infect President Trump's strongest argument for re-election? Well, it does if it's the market. Uh, it does also if if it looks like he's not a leader in this time of crisis, in this time when people turn to him. And uh, But I think, to Margaret's point, I think for him, he's most concerned, obviously, about the stock market and the economy. One of the things you've written in the last few weeks is that you think for President Trump, you've been using this could be his Katrina, but then you suggested maybe it's not his Katrina, it's his WMD, weapons of mass destruction. What do you mean? Okay, we're starting to get, you know, the insider reporting from the, the Post and the Times of what went on in the last few weeks. And it, it's very clear that uh, the Trump and the people around him made it clear to everyone else in the government that they did not want to hear that this was going to be bad. And basically people were punished for suggesting that it might be bad. And it was very similar in psychology to what happened in the build-up to the Iraq War when it was clear they wanted to be told that there were weapons of mass destruction. So it's the same distortion of the, you know, very. Uh, it takes great effort for a president of the United States to get told things he doesn't want to hear. He has to make it really clear that he doesn't, he wants to be told things that he doesn't want to hear. Um, this is not that kind of president. And lives are at stake with this one. All right, the book is titled Arguing with Zombies. What's a zombie? Okay, the zombies are not people. Maybe there are a few of those, too. My son was super excited when I was reading this because he thought I was reading a sci-fi book over the weekend. It's not that. No, a zombie idea is an idea that should be killed by evidence, uh, should have been dead long ago, but just keeps shambling along eating people's brains. So it's things like tax cuts pay for themselves or climate change is a hoax. Uh, And what the the theme of my book, uh, theme of arguing with zombies, is that an awful lot of our political discussion is not between rival ideas, each of which can be defended, but between some fairly sensible idea and a zombie idea on the other side. You say we need to be honest about our dishonesty. You suggest that there aren't necessarily people, you think there are people arguing with bad faith. It's not just that they're wrong, you say, it's that they have bad faith. Yeah, there are plenty of places where you can have legitimate disagreements. There are uh, some of the fields I work in, actually, there's a lot of conservative economists who are good economists and are honest. None of those people are working in the Trump administration. None of those people are advising the Republicans in Congress. The, the, the almost all, these zombie ideas are kept alive by essentially hired guns. They're kept alive by think tanks financed by right-wing billionaires. They're kept alive by Fox News. Uh, they're, they're, it's, that this is, we're not having, if you, if you, if I write that we're having a, a serious discussion, I'm actually lying to my readers. The truth is, on most of the important issues, we're not having an honest discussion. One side of the discussion is deliberately saying things they have to know are not true. Well, Paul, I think we had a serious discussion here. At least okay. I, I, I'm so glad you had a chance to come on and talk to us this morning. The book is Arguing with Zombies. It's really good. It's a really good read. and it- It'll never stop. They're going to continue to do what they can do to get this their way. It, 
It's freaking people out, though. Naveed Jamil in Seattle, after a report of six coronavirus deaths, supermarkets are packed as people stock up. Schools and employers remind sick children and workers to stay home. Uh, lines wrap around Seattle Costco at a local health officials announced two more cases. Uh, there's nothing. Toilet paper, water, they've taken it all. Just, it's gone. Just fucking gone. So, let's move into our dim section, and we have another casualty. Oh, Pocahontas. Pocahontas is gone. Now, Elizabeth Warren is fascinating because she had the ground game that everybody envied in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in several of these states. She had been working on this forever. It's just the fact that this ground game did not turn out votes for her, did not get people to the polls for Elizabeth Warren is really, I mean, it, there's going to be a lot of digging as to why that didn't happen, wh- whether it's sexism, whether it's the fact someone, they just changed their mind. Um, I heard women when I was in Iowa tell me who were Warren fans were worried that people, they liked Warren. They heard her speak. They went to the polls, and then they were worried that a woman couldn't beat Donald Trump. But you're reading my mind. When it comes to executive office, our country is still very uncomfortable with women in power. And that's part of why women have to over-credential. We don't care if we like male candidates or not. Mm-hmm. Men come into a race with the expectation that they're qualified. Women have to prove themselves. Mm-hmm. So all of that goes into how voters are analyzing the candidate. This whole dynamic really upsets me. The fact that we're even still talking about, well, she can't go too far. She can't hit too hard. Mm-hmm. We started this uh, presidential election with six women running more than ever before in an election cycle. We're down to two. And it really upsets me that someone like Elizabeth Warren, who was stellar on the debate stage, had a great organization, smart, tough, had resources, somehow just seemed to have has been like shun aside. But Senator Warren was hammered on her Medicare for all plan and her tax plans in a way that None of the men were exactly right. the entire last year. To me, that was a sexist double standard. But I have to get what, the reason I started this whole conversation is because the success of all of this has to do with Democratic women. Uh, this party is driven by mostly women of color and suburban. Well, Tony, this is a first-of-its-kind event focused exclusively on Native American issues. As you said, over the next two days, Native American leaders will quiz the candidates on issues of concern to Native communities. Eight of the 23 Democratic presidential candidates will be here, and the one to watch especially is Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. You'll remember she faced backlash last year for releasing a DNA test revealing that she has a very small trace of Native American ancestry. Polls show she's now in second place here in Iowa, and voters and Native American activists we've spoken to say that DNA flap is much ado about nothing, even though, of course, the president occasionally makes light of it. went over for the big powwow. Was she going to join the race? That the Cherokee Nation criticized Warren's announcement, saying that her use of the DNA test is inappropriate and, quote, undermining tribal interests with her continued claims of tribal heritage. Yeah, a lot of people questioning whether this revelation really did win her in any point. For, this is the reason it's controversial. When she was at Harvard Law School and when she was at the University of Pennsylvania, she represented herself as Native American. She, she 
contributed to a Native American cookbook called Pow Wow Chow, <laughs> calling herself Cherokee. The Cherokee Nation called the president's attacks derisive, but is also criticizing Warren, saying she is undermining tribal interests with her continued claims of tribal heritage, adding a DNA test is useless. Current DNA tests do not even distinguish whether a person's ancestors were indigenous to North or South America. But in the video, Warren says she respects the difference between family history and tribal affiliation. I'm not enrolled in a tribe, and only tribes determine tribal citizenship. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. But I just want to take a step back as the person who's covered her campaign for this network for over a year at this point. This campaign was unabashedly feminist every single day that we were out here on the campaign trail. Elizabeth Warren was the last woman to be in this race. We obviously know now that we have two septuagenarian white men now left for Democratic voters to choose from. But for women who were out here following her campaign, it was not the leading force for her argument for why she should be president. But she was out here not hiding the fact, as she would say, that she was the woman who she said was going to be able to beat Donald Trump. The way that she messaged herself as an efficient arbiter of the plans and policy agenda that she wanted to enact, she used examples of women throughout history who had been able to get things done. That was her central argument. And I remember being able to talk with her about how women are often plagued with these double-edged swords, be aggressive but don't be too aggressive. We watched her have to do both of those things on debate stages in how she drew contrast with her rival. Senator Elizabeth Warren, after losing her home state of Massachusetts on Super Tuesday, ending her campaign. But I guarantee I will stay in the fight. A field that began with six women, Warren is the last leading woman to bow out. One of the hardest parts of this is all those picky promises and all those little girls who are going to have to wait four more years. Her departure, leaving the race to two white men in their late 70s, did gender play a role? That is the trap question for every woman. Uh, if you say, yeah, there was sexism in this race, everyone says, whiner. And if you say, no, there was no sexism, about a bazillion women think, what planet do you live on? Briefly leading in the polls last fall, Warren says she needs time to think before endorsing anyone. A former law professor, the iconic progressive, was never short on ideas. And I got a plan for that. But she faltered when challenged to explain how she would pay for Medicare for all. A fierce debater, Warren took down Mike Bloomberg. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. And famously was caught on an open mic confronting Bernie Sanders. I think you called me a liar on national TV. While slamming Joe Biden just this week. Nominating someone who wants to restore the world before Donald Trump is a big risk for our party and for our... So, of course, instantly, thinking that we're all morons, what did the media go with this? Okay, well, you kind of heard in the beginning. Atlantic Magazine, Warren campaign failed because she was too competent. That was an angle. A version of the sentiment war inspiring irrational animus among those whom she thought has sought as constituent was a common refrain about the candidate who announced Tuesday that she was suspending her campaign. This complaint tends to take on not the substance of Warren's stated positions, but instead the style which she delivered them. The campaigns of those who de deviate from the traditional model 
of the American president, the campaign of anyone who's not white and Christian and male, will always care more than their share of weight. But Warren had something about her, apparently something that galled the pundits and public in a way that led to assessments of her not just as strident and shrill, but also condescending. Now, it doesn't have anything about she's a fucking liar. No. She was too competent. She was too intellectual for the voter block. Feminist Jessica Valentini despairing that American sexism booted Liz Warren. The radical feminist with a history of blaming the world's problems on patriarchy let out a loud lamentation about the senator from Massachusetts' ultimate fate, arguing that her lack of success in the race was the fault of American sexism. Oh, this should be good. Valentini, Valenti, whatever, Valenti, has apparently staked her mental well-being on the fact that a calculating, unlikable female candidate with a penchant for lying about her background to get ahead would beat Donald Trump, but just because he's brutish and she's progressive. What happened to Warren was enough to make me feel, well, despairing that we had a candidate of a lifetime, someone with the energy, vision, and follow-through to lead the country. Blah, blah, shut up. Not ready anymore. Um, I have sound bites of why. Well, let me just do this. I'm going to play Clyburn and edit it down because, well, I'm just going to play Biden wins. Within that, you're going to hear people literally thanking Clyburn because Clyburn went out and did a full press 16-minute interview on MSDNC. When do you ever see anybody else get 16 minutes? Uh, you, you don't. But he told everybody what to do, and that's why Biden won. Now, Elizabeth Warren is fascinating because she had the ground game that everybody envied in Iowa, in New Hampshire, in several of these states. She had been working on this forever. It just the fact that this ground game did not turn out votes for her, did not get people to the polls for Elizabeth Warren is really I mean, it, there's going to be a lot of digging as to why that didn't happen, wh- whether it's sexism, whether it's the fact someone they just changed their mind. Um, I heard women when I was in Iowa tell me who are Warren fans were worried that people they liked Warren. They heard her speak. They went to the polls, and then they were worried that a woman couldn't beat Donald Trump. But you're reading my mind. When it comes to executive office, our country is still very uncomfortable with women in power. And that's part of why women have to over-credential. We don't care if we like male candidates or not. Mm -hmm. Men come into a race with the expectation that they're qualified. Women have to prove themselves. So all of that goes into how voters are analyzing the candidate. This whole dynamic really upsets me the fact that we're even still talking about well she can't go too far she can't hit too hard we started this uh presidential election with six women running more than ever before in an election cycle we're down to two and it really upsets me that someone like elizabeth warren who was stellar on the debate stage had a great organization smart tough had resources somehow just seemed to have has been like shunned aside but senator warren was hammered on her medicare for all plan and her tax plans in a way that none of the men were the entire last year to me that was a sexist 
double standard. But I have to get the reason I started this whole conversation is because the success of all of this has to do with Democratic women. Uh, this party is driven by mostly women of color and suburban. Steve Kornacki, you are having a night earlier than I thought we all agreed you were going to have a night. Well, I got to say, Brian, is shock the word? Because I'm trying to put this in some perspective here. When you just put up on the screen there, that running delegate tally, 167 yeah. to 106. We keep saying if it had been a week ago, if it had been a week ago and you said at this hour, it was going to be Joe Biden, 167, Sanders, 106. I know Sanders has California coming. I know there's a lot to come in, in Texas. But this is shocking in just the span of a week. And I just want to give you take one step back and give you a bigger picture look at the delegates that are coming into view right now. We are seeing Joe Biden roll up landslide numbers in the southeast. In North Carolina, by the way, it's the same day vote coming in. His lead has already gone from 6 to 12 statewide, Biden's has, in just the last half hour, as the same day vote comes in. And what it means is there's the potential here, basically in, the, in these states here, in the southeast tonight, for Biden to net over Sanders when all is said and done. He has the potential, Biden does, to net like 130 delegates over Sanders, have 130 more than Sanders coming out of this region. You look at Texas, you have Sanders and Biden both expected now to get delegates there. We don't know about Bloomberg. We see this same day trend toward Joe Biden. There's a possibility in Texas. It's a huge delegate hall. But if this is a close race from a delegate standpoint, whether Sanders is winning the state by three or whether Biden is winning the state by three, it is not a huge difference when it comes to delegates. If Sanders wins Texas by three points, you're not making up 130. You're not making much of a dent in 130. And you look at what's happening up here in New England right now. Sanders gets a landslide in his home state of Vermont. What's that worth? He nets like eight delegates from doing that in Vermont. Meanwhile, in Massachusetts, you put the numbers up. A week ago, Biden wasn't supposed to get delegates in Massachusetts. Right now in the returns, Biden is leading in Massachusetts. Again, it's a close race there, but you're looking at the potential for not a huge delegate gain or loss for anybody in Massachusetts. Same story in Maine. Biden is in contention in Maine. You're looking at Sanders netting, I don't know, on a good night at this point, 15 delegates. Sanders could get 15 a net of 15 out of New England. Biden can get a net of like 130 out of the South. You're looking at Texas might be trench warfare in Texas. You might be talking about 12 delegates this way, 12 delegates that way. The picture that is coming into focus right now is one where Joe Biden is going to have the lead in delegates when we finally get to California, the mother load with 415. And if everything we are seeing in terms of this trend towards Biden, this incredible trend towards Biden in the last few days holds, then he's going to make that threshold in California. And if he makes the threshold in California, yeah. Sanders wins the state. Sanders gets a lot of delegates. Is it enough to take it to take that out? That's a very open question at this point. Biden could absolutely be ahead in delegates at the end of the night, ahead in delegates on what was supposed to be Sanders' big night. That's the big story right now. Nicole is the subject. I, I am just color me, color me as shocked as Steve Kornacki. Nobody wants to address that. Nobody wants to address that your party didn't vote for her and that everybody in the world is either sucking up to Bernie or they're saying the only way you win is Biden. The only way you win is Biden over and over and over. And that the establishment pushed for Biden. Nope, 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 nope. Here's uh, Brittany Cooper. She didn't even win her own, winning zero states and placing third in her own state of Massachusetts. Brittany Cooper, an author, associate professor, and advocate of hip-hop feminism, whatever that is, says totally 
Warren totally routing was the result of sexism. The total routing of Elizabeth Warren last night, the straight-up disrespect dismissal after all that lady's hard work, it's absolutely sexist and patriarchal, and I don't care to hear any other hot takes on that one. Don't at me with no bullshit. Christina Summers, Warren was leading every poll a few months ago. Were we less sexist and patriarchal then? Last night she lost with women. Democratic women in Massachusetts. Are they sexist and disrespectful? Maybe she just ran a lousy campaign. High horsemen. Unfortunately, it's sexist even to consider that. Evan, it's easier to scream sexism than it is to think critically and maybe admit that your favorite candidate is condescending and insufferable. Yeah. Uh, except she came in third here in Massachusetts State. Hillary won two competitive primaries in. It's not that simple. Simple. Brad Palumbo. Yeah, no, this ain't it. Sexism isn't to blame for Elizabeth Warren's Super Tuesday nightmare. This election cycle, Democrats have been consumed by a noticeable desperation, beating Trump. That's the truth. Alex Thompson. Warren had a plan for winning. It didn't work. The mood turns grim. Two staffers fight openly on Twitter over whether some aides are too privileged. Pressure giving less than six million month unionized payroll for a thousand staffers. So you need the money for shutdown. Josh Kroshauer, Warren campaign design director. I keep thinking about the coronavirus and fiction universe in which it turns us all into zombies and a small group of heroes try to go back in time to elect Warren because she was the only one with the plan. Oh, my friend, you got to be kidding me. Of course, my favorite reply in all of this is from Trump. Do you think sexism was a factor in Elizabeth Warren um, pulling out? And, and do you believe you will see a female president in your lifetime? No, I think lack of talent was her problem. She had a tremendous lack of talent. She was a good debater. Uh, she destroyed Mike Bloomberg very quickly, like it was nothing. That was easy for her. But people don't like her. She's a very mean person, and people don't like her. People don't want that. They like a person like me that's not mean. <laughs> but literally, think about it, folks. She lied about her ethnicity, then did a, uh, a fucking a test and was proven she was a liar, and then rolled it out, took it back, played it off, lied about her kids where they went to school, lied about getting fired, had... Her answer for everything was a huge program that she couldn't financially say how she was going to pay for anything. She just was a bad candidate. And and the worst part about it, as we continue on with it's all sexist and horrible, you people didn't vote for her. You didn't vote for her. Hollywood mad warns out U.S. would vote for coronavirus before a woman. Yeah. Woke women residents in her state didn't even go for her, but celebrities are particularly immune to facts and reason. Perfect Harmony actor Bradley Whitford noted Bernie Sanders' advanced age and health problems, tweeting, A 78-year-old woman, let alone a 70-year-old woman who just had a heart attack, would never be considered to be a viable candidate for president, Whitford insisted. In the public sphere, age tends to lionize men and to erase women. Yeah. 
Michael Ian Black couldn't stand a New York Daily News op-ed and pointed out Warren's shortcomings. He tweeted, late in the piece, the writer acknowledges sexism playing a role, but the premise of the talented but flawed female politician is itself condescending and sexist. Where is the male candidate without flaws who has half of her talent? He's nowhere to be found. Liz Winstead latched out. America would vote for a cruise ship floating coated in coronavirus before they would vote for a woman. Fuck everything today. Again, don't put that on America. We're sure we will pick the best candidate when it comes along. Put that on your party, Miss Liz, because that's who did it. Tulsi, uh, and since Hollywood and the left are so about woke actor John Leguiamo brutalized the woman still in the race, Tulsi Gabbard, he tweeted, why is such a disruptor disgraceful? She's the lowest of them all. Ah, yes. There's your sexism. But AP, it's a day for many people of mourning, just true mourning and grieving. Senator Elizabeth Warren exit from the presidential race was a final blow to hopes once so bright that a woman could face Trump. Why were these public displays of Greece absent when Klobuchar or Harris exited the race? It has less to do with demography than ideology and shared tribal signifiers. That's not saying anything you don't already know, but the press appears to need to be constantly reminded who deeply their war and affinities are, reflected in their coverage of this campaign, the source of their sympathies. So we start the online craziness from liberal blue checks. The first one I won't put music to, but the second one's so good. I gotta. Ida Bay Wells. I just need to say that my nine-year-old daughter is really upset with y'all for not thinking that it's a woman's turn after these last three years. Like, she's hot. She keeps asking me to explain why. She won't stop talking about it. I'm proud that she cares, but it's also exhausting. I guess I'm just disturbed by the idea that so many people think anyone is entitled to their turn to be president, particularly based on their identity, somebody said to her. But, no. This didn't happen. The next one is a big time blue check. She's a doctor, a psychologist, but it needs due respect. Sherry Pagato. I shared the news of Warren's exit with my 12 year old daughter tonight. Her response wasn't of sadness or anger. It was much worse than that. A threat. She wasn't going to win either way, she texted back flatly, as if I was a fool to think otherwise. Note, why are you texting with your 12-year-old daughter? She's probably still in the house. Dejected, she texted. The worst response of all. Let me take a step back, though, because she wasn't always this way. Let's go back to 2016 at 8. My girl made Hillary signs with the crayons and scotch tapes them to telephone poles along the street. She loved to wear this homemade hill shirt, which earned her fist bumps and thumbs up from strangers. On election day, we blasted Beyonce's Girls Run the World. On the way to the polls, 
The volunteer smiled and she stomped into the gym, head held high, proudly donning her Hillary pins. That's a violation of voting. You can't have anything within a hundred feet of a polling station. Yeah, I guess Dems don't follow the rules because, as we saw on the show, I saw people with Hillary buttons in my polling station. They were running it. We made popcorn and a pillow fort in the living room as we watched the returns. Being eight years old and all, she knocked out by 8 p.m. right before the wind shifted. When I told her the news in the morning, she accused me of lying. I said, no, baby, I'm serious. She lost. She wrote Hillary a letter because she worried Hill might be upset. She made a to-do list of good deeds that included things like pick up trash because in her little mind, she felt this need to right or wrong. It was precious. Hillary wrote back and she beamed. Oh my God, she wrote back. Ain't that something? She wrote back. Okay, it was one of those thank you cards everybody gets for writing, but shh, she thinks... Hill wrote it to her. Then, still holding strong, she marched to Boston Commons at the March of Our Lives. She has a sign that her mother did for her. No eight-year-old kid writes this. Four years later, I tried to engage her in Warren campaign. It's been harder to capture her interest. Her hesitance to latch on to my excitement has felt like I was trying to talk her into a wild goose chase. She wasn't having it. Early on, somehow, she got the message that Warren had no chance of winning. She heard loud and clear that it's dangerous times. The women should step aside to be safe. Let a man take the lead. Safe. These are hard times. Don't study. Don't work hard. Don't push your agenda. No matter how much you know it to be right, move aside so that we can all be safe. So what can I do now to revive her spirit? At 12, she's too hardened for the innocent hope generated by pinky promises. So I wait four years to hatch a new plan, to reinvigorate her 16-year-old self. What if we're in the hard times again? What if we need to be safe again? Nah, I will open her world beyond this town, beyond this so-called blue state, beyond this country, beyond these invisible, suffocating walls. I will tell her about Jacida in New Zealand, Katrin in Iceland, Shali Walk in Ethiopia, Simonetta in Switzerland, Irma in Norway. Maybe we'll go to one or more of these places. I'll say, you see, this place we live, it's not the whole world. It doesn't have to be your whole world. You don't have to wait for it. If it's not ready for you, then go make your impact where you can. And whatever you do, baby, if it comes down to the choice between a chance to change the world and playing it safe, fuck safe scene. Good God, what is wrong with these people? Amarita Rita Olson, this is insanely heartbreaking, yes. Our hearts break for Pogdago's daughter, who's been effectively robbed of her childhood. The worst part is that you're a mental health professional. Doing this to your child? An RB pundit. Imagine writing this thread thinking you're normal and not currently robbing your child of her childhood. I, I say it didn't even fucking happen. But that's the way the media 
played it. New York Times, of course, women aren't an ideological feminist monolith and don't vote that way, no matter what Times reporters want. And it's not technically a two-man race, but they break it down. Left scratches its head and far right swoons its Gabbard campaign, and they dog Gabbard and said the reason why she didn't win was because of sexism. If they weren't saying that, they were saying Matt Stoller, blue check. This is likely the last primary before we start reckoning with mass death. What is coming will change politics in a way that are hard to imagine. Mass death! <laughs> then there was a whole thing on A. Uh, Four-hour lines. It's voter suppression and the world goes, it's your goddamn primary. And then, to close out this nice little section... The Bernie bros were in effect. There was, um, I cannot, it cannot be overstated how much older people hate us and want to destroy our futures. David Cleon. That's why Bernie's losing to Biden. Because old people want to kill him. People said, maybe you just think going on 60 Minutes of Praising Castro could have something to do with it. Alternative take, they remember the Cold War and communism's bad. T.W. Polk, older people do not support my candidates, so they hate me and want to destroy me. And then the rest of them, rigged primary, rigged DNC, trends on Twitter after Super Tuesday. Twitter was full of life Wednesday morning following Super Tuesday as the hashtag Rig Primary trended nationwide. Rig Primary trending Wednesday morning after independent Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders momentum was severely blunted by Biden. Uh, projected delegate count. Further complicating this for Sanders was a string of endorsements Biden recently got from everybody who fell the fuck out. And you could see it was the number three and the number one was Rig DNC. The hashtag was full of both fans of Sanders crying foul as well as others users criticizing Sanders supporters for accusing the primary of being rigged. Dan Roll, the incredible irony of the rigged primaries of the DNC used South Carolina primary to shove the knife in Sanders' campaign. South Carolina hasn't voted a Dem president since 19 fucking... And he didn't finish his thought. Dan Andros, Bloomberg Radio ad, still running this AM. I'm hearing one as I type, man... That had to be the most expensive vanity project of all time. The persistence. The Democrat rigged the election against Bernie Sanders again. Caleb Howe. Hey, rigged primary is trending. Esteric Jeff. Very amused at the people screeching rigged primary right now, enraged because Democrat voted in a Democratic primary for a long-standing Democrat and not a person who's not even a Democrat. Cameron Easley, the age gap is really coming, is coming to light. 70% of Democratic vote primary voters age 45 or older voted for Biden. 7% of the Democratic primary voters under 45 are backing Sanders. And it should have been 70 because I saw this quote somewhere else. So that's where we went with Warren leaving. We're going to listen as our music, Maddow. Just hamming it up over Warren leaving. And then McCain on The View, she sums it up pretty good. Voting for a woman president. And she asked, would you vote for me? And they wouldn't. Because Tulsi Gabbard's still in it. 
And she can't win it, but she's in it. But they don't count her as a woman because she doesn't want to abort babies while they're in college. And she had the gall to call out Hillary. I would like to ask you about the elephant in the room, which is a conversation you've had a, a number of different ways, and you talked about it eloquently today, uh-huh. and I thought in pretty blunt terms today. Um, I think that a lot of women around the country right now feel differently about you dropping out. Whether or not they were supporting you specifically for president, you leaving the race feels different. If, if Hillary Clinton can't win when she gets the nomination and then you can't get the nomination, and neither can Kamala Harris, and neither can Amy Klobuchar, and neither can Kirsten Gillibrand. I mean, I think part of what's going on today is that women around the country are like, okay, honestly, you know, if it's not, if it's not going to be any of them, let's get real. Is it, just, is it just that it can't be any woman ever? Are we just going to run, you know, white men in their late 70s against each other, both parties, and that's all we can agree to do. I think there's a there's a feeling that your campaign ending is, is is very specific to you, and it also feels a little bit like a death knell in terms of the prospects of having a woman for president in our lifetimes. You, you have a lot of people of a lot of different stripe support mm-hmm. you around the country, yeah. but, like, I'm your stripe. Like, <laughs> my marching order is, like, is your bullseye. I have been hearing all day today from people who I know in my personal life, people I know in professional capacity, women who are just bereft. I know. I mean, people telling me they can't get off the couch. There is something about your fight and your qualifications, and your qualifications, indeed, compared to the people who are still in, um, that does feel... It was inspiring, and now it feels crushing. I was always raised. My dad told me, you can be president, Megan. Like, always. And I feel like if I had a child right now, right. and it was a girl, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'd say anymore, because I do think there... I, it's like there's this quote that, like, where's my jetpack? Mm. Where's my woman president? Like, why are we still here as Americans? And I think it's frustrating. It I'd love it to be a conservative woman, like, happy if it's Nikki Haley or someone like else. But I do think women traditionally are better leaders in a lot of situations, because because we're more compassionate and we don't have to deal. There's more, more collaborative. Yes. In every and I think for me, I'm, just, I'm 35. I'm going to be 36 by the next election or almost, uh, yeah, 36 the next election. Where's my woman president? I would like a woman to be president in well, my life. Maybe you should run. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know, would get, you vote for me, John? You're out. <laughs> maybe. You know what? Let me just. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reid. I seen your picture. Your name is lots above it. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
I'm Kevin Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're at the Democrat debate in Detroit talking to voters about Joe Biden. Now he's leading all the national polls, but after 40 years in politics, do people know any accomplishments of his? Let's talk to them and find out. What do you view as Joe Biden's singular like accomplishment you would point to? I don't know of a specific accomplishment of his. I know that there are things that, you know, he can put his name on and say, well, this was done when I was in office. This was done when I was in office. I'll be honest with you, I'm drawing a blank on on what what he accomplished. I do know that he's fought for poor Americans. Are there any accomplishments that come to mind that you can point to for Joe Biden? No. Anything? No. I don't know. What would you view as Joe Biden's main accomplishment? His accomplishments has been um, the health care program. He was, you know, very instrumental with that. In your mind, what is Joe Biden's main accomplishment you would point to? I'm, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I have an answer for that. Tangibly, though, if a, if a person who was undecided were to ask you, What's the, the main thing you can point to as, as Joe Biden's singular accomplishment? What would you point them to? Well, I think his, uh, you know, years of service, uh, but more more recently, I think he served with very much distinction with uh, with Obama. What would you say you view uh, Joe Biden's main accomplishment as having been in his career? I think he's an honest and a decent man, and that to me speaks volumes. Um, I mean, he was a segregationist, so, but, hmm, I say... Him and him Obama passing bills for, for vets uh, that I like. Um, being vice president. I mean, he's he's been there a long time. He's got staying power. Well, I think his greatest accomplishment was uh, being the vice president for Obama. His background, I don't know. I mean, I really wasn't prepared for that question, clearly. <laughs> I see Joe Biden. He, at the best, he's a flip-flopper because it's like, what what is my best interest right now to act like I want to do this, act like I want to do that, but he'll flip right back the next day. What's the biggest issue for you uh, as a Democrat voter? Uh, Ability to elect somebody that can defeat Trump. I mean, at this point, it's still the economy. Climate change, I have kids, and not too many politicians is, you know, speaking up about this. I would say health care. I would say health care. Legalization of marijuana. Fix, okay. fix the corruption. That's all I got to say. It's uh, it's more healthcare is more important. So climate change is of course right at the top. I see the Marianne sign here. Uh, what's your thought on Marianne? I'm Marianne. <laughs> That's so funny because honestly, uh, full disclosure, I'm here uh, because it just popped up on Facebook. I was gonna go check out the viewing party at the Fillmore because I'm gonna get tickets to the Fox. Okay. So I'm, I mean, honestly, like my stance is anybody but Trump. So I, I. I honestly could tell you nothing about Williamson other than what I saw in the first debate. Um, but at this point, really anybody but Trump. Oh, well, hello there. I'm Kappa Phillips with Campus Reform. Thanks so much for watching. If you want to join our team, we're always looking for new investigators, correspondents, and tipsters. Click right here to learn more about that. If you want to donate to help us make more videos like the one you just saw, click that button there. And if you want to be among the first person to see all of our new content, click that subscribe button right over there. Thanks so much. Those are college students saying, of course, Biden, but they can't name anything he did because what has Biden done? Other than <clears throat> label African-American SCOTUS nominees as sexist in the Nita Hill. Hmm? 
Conservative blasts Ohio State student government candidates running to support undocumented students financially. Yeah. Undergraduate student government campaign says it will advocate to increase access to institutional financial aid for legal immigrants. Roya Hagazi and Caleb Heinemann for student body president and vice president of Ohio State University launched a campaign just last week. In addition to their executive campaign, the pair has endorsed a slate of senatorial candidates for the student body general assembly. Slate currently consists of 21 senator candidates, all of whom are running behind the same policy stance. The policy supported by the candidates says that in light of the barriers... For undocumented students, these students cannot receive financial or institutional support for public universities because they're not fucking citizens. Why should they? <coughs> really? Yaf at Ohio State. At Ohio State, a student government campaign is running on the platform of giving a financial assistance to, wait for it, illegal aliens who shouldn't even be in the school. Why can't you take that money to real citizens? Underprivileged African Americans. How about that? If I was a young kid, that's how I'd be playing it. UI offers buyback on racist old mascot gear. The Illinois student government is hosting an annual t-shirt buyback geared towards reducing the number of t-shirts featuring its old sheath mascot. The Facebook post by the student government calls the shirt outdated and racist. Help remove outdated and racist imagery from campus. Exchange your former mascot clothing for brand new official Illinois merchandise of any of the locations listed while supplies last. Students will be able to exchange their merchandise featuring the old mascot for new official Illinois merch at multiple locations on campus. Some student employees will also be helping out with the Chief Buyback Program, notes the announcement, encouraging students to reach out to your multicultural advocate if you reside in university housing to perform exchanges of the clothing as well. The student government is spending $5,250 on the buyback, according to the student government resolution, to undergo the effort obtained by campus reform. The Illinois student government takes a firm stance against representation of Chief Iliwek because of the disrespect the symbol conveys across Native American community. Later on, uh, uh, Chief Portrayer and President of the Honor the Chief Society, Ivan Dozier, who's a Native American descent. I feel deeply disturbing that the University of Illinois has been seen fit to label any representative of Native culture, authentic or not, as inherently offensive and worthy of censorship. Other schools like Utah and Florida State work closely with the local tribes and honor their imagery and history with pride. Why has Illinois not made any effort towards a similar partnership? The University of Illinois certainly sends that message that Native Americans are not wanted or welcome. Perhaps that's why the school posts a paltry .0601 Native Hawaiian or other Pacific Islanders and .053 American Indian or Alaska Native student enrollment. Yeah. Okay. Professor blames higher ed budget cuts on white resentment. <clears throat> what the fuck? Two American professors, Barrett Taylor and Brendan Cantwell, co-authored a piece of the University of North Texas undergraduate student Kim Watts and Olivia Wood, arguing that white resentment is behind the decrease in public trust in higher education and overall funding drawbacks. Their article, titled Partnership, White Radical Resentment and State Support for Higher Education, claims that 
partisan attitudes towards racial representation in higher education may shape state government support for college and universities. Professors accuse Republicans of hyper-partisanship and characterize them as part of the party that finds it difficult to forge compromise. <laughs> really? Did you write that with a straight face? Really? Republican officials may be more skeptical of higher education funding when they presume beneficiaries of government spending are racially diverse and more sympathetic to government expenditures when the presumed beneficiaries are white. Racism and white privilege characterize American higher education. The professors attempt to make a correlation between partnership and higher education cuts, but ends up blaming white Republican voters in the process. Professors refer to the racial backlash model, which they say assumes that party ideology interacts with white resentment to produce policy outcomes. Republicans have a low level of trust in higher education and often viewed as removed from the realities of everyday life. For Republicans, that frame appears to include declining trust in higher education and a willingness to use nonpartisan institutions such as higher education and martial negative partisan sentiments. The authors characterize higher education as a target for Republicans because any step towards greater racial equality stirs white racial resentment and asserts that Republican mistrust of higher education lessen when the beneficiaries of higher education are more likely to be white. Well, since 70% of all campuses are white, that definitely shows you don't know how to use a calculator. No, it's because higher educations have turned into fucking goddamn breeding pools of fucking socialism and crazy white hate milks racist. Yeah, that's you, dumbasses. Jesus Christ, man. And they don't want to do compromise, really. When was the last time a liberal wanted to compromise on shit? They don't. To gay shit! Hey, hey, hey. Bow, bow, bow. Little pump and cut. Hey, gay shit, gay shit, gay shit. Amy, shut up. Welcome back to the Democratic Debate. Candidates, please keep in mind that time is limited. I do have a dinner to get to. Liz? You bet. Okay. Uh, let's begin with Mayor Pete and his farewell performance. Yes, Queen. You struggled to gain support in the African-American community. Sir, do you believe it was bullshit that Lemonade did not win the 2017 Grammy Award for Album of the Year? Yes, in effect it was. Okay, well, you should have led with that. Uh, Vice President Biden, it seems Russia is again attempting to interfere in our election process. Would you, as president, launch a retaliatory cyber attack? I would make... Oh, sorry, you know what that sound means. Give me a break. It's time to take a Twitter question, because we're 12. Okay, this one comes from at sexy kitty meow 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 69. What is the biggest misconception about you, and what is your personal motto? Let's begin with you. I want to say Tim. The biggest misconception about me is that somehow I'm defined hey. by this... It's fine. Mike Pence is my physician. The biggest misconception is that I'm boring, because I'm not. Okay, I'm bored. 
Joe, say something crappy about Mini Mike. This is a guy who is has doesn't have a Democratic with a small D bone in his body. Speaking of small D bones, Donald Trump still stands a substantial chance of winning re-election. What do you all plan to do about it? We need to I am so confused. And who can blame me? Could Joe or Amy take on you know who? I released my tax returns. Not now, Todd. How will I choose? It's like the lotto. So here's my motto. Any them will do. They're all so white. But that orange fellow. Sad yellow, which is why I'm blue. So just do what's right when it's November. And girl, remember, any damn will do. No, a socialist, a super twink. An academic who can drink Whatever that guy's name is Bloomberg, Klobuchar, or Joe Senator Sanders, you have sympathized with multiple autocratic regimes and said Cardi B should run for office. How do we know you're not fucking crazy too? Really? No one's perfect, everyone does stupid shit. He makes plans but can't say how he'll pay for it. And she disputes her tribal roots. She bots her DNA results. I am sorry. Some say he's got one foot in the nursing home. He dropped out and she eats salad with a comb. But here's the thing, I'm rallying for any sane adult who might get home for his own ways. Still, he loves his MTAs. And if it seems Amy likes to boast, it's only just cause she invented post-its. But don't let their little quirks make you act like silly jerks. Tell the Bloomberg Buffs and Bernie Brothers if they're out pick any of the others, such as Warren or Keith or me or Joe or Sam. I released my tax returns. They make gaps but then recover with a plum. He makes dad jokes and he's more fetchy than my mom. But even still, I got a shill for anyone not crazy. So Vote for Warren or Pete or Amy or Joe or Bernie or Susan or Mike or Oprah or Meryl or Corey. That was Randy Rainbow. Any them will do. I am sorry I played that, but I just, I had to. RuPaul, end of the road for AJ and the Queen. Netflix has decided to not extend our road trip across America. Thank you for all the love and support. We're so very proud of our work. And the pedophilia gets stopped. Wow. Must not have been enough pedophiles that wanted to watch him and a little boy as men tuck their fucking naked cocks in front of him. Yeah. Yeah. 
say the least, I'm not upset with that one. Then we got another RuPaul. And once again, don't care. You can be a perv. You can fuck goats. You can want to be a goat. I really don't give a fuck, but there's a correlation between kids. And we get this article from another drag racer that this little kid was around. Drag race star Sherry Pie apologized after five actors said she catfished him. One of the men said he was even allowed himself to be filmed masturbating by Joey Gagalermarelli, a.k.a. Sherry Pie, as part of fake audition process. At least five aspiring young actors told BuzzFeed News a contestant on the season of RuPaul Drag Race catfished them over several years via email posing as a casting director who led them to submit embarrassing audition tapes of themselves saying and doing degrading things. One of the young men said he even agreed to masturbate on camera as part of the audition process. Joey, a dude better known by Sherry Pye is alleged to have deceived his former classmate at SUNY Cortland in New York as well as actors he worked with in Nebraska Theater Company. I just felt really stupid. I felt really dumb, said David Newman 26, a Cortland alum who filmed scenes in 2015 wearing a tank top and shorts for Joey for a fake musical version of A Nightmare Before Christmas that he was told Tim Burton was affiliated with. Everyone does bad stuff but he never apologized, Newman said. He had a national audience watching him now, and people have to know what he did. He did it to a lot of people. Joey did not respond to multiple emails, tweets, phone calls, and text messages about the story during the day on Thursday. And representative VH1, which airs Drag Race, also did not respond for comment. One minute before publication of the Thursday evening, Googleami Cherry Pie posted a on Facebook. This is Joey. I wanted to start by saying how sorry I am that I caused such trauma and pain and how horribly embarrassed and disgusted I am with myself. I know that the pain and hurt that I have caused will never go away and I know what I did was wrong and truly cruel. Until being on Drag Race I never fully understood how my mental health and taking care of myself meant. Oh, so now it's about you and your mental health. I learned on the show how important loving yourself is and don't think I ever love myself. I've been seeking help and receiving treatment ever since coming back to New York City. I truly apologize to everyone I have hurt with my actions. I also want to say how sorry I am to my sister of reason of season 12 and honestly the whole network. Blah, blah, blah. Hmm. He's been disqualified. In light of recent developments, Cherry's Pie statement, Cherry Pie has been disqualified for Drag Race. The accusation against Google Army surfaced online and in gay media on Thursday following, that's where I got this, Facebook status from 25-year-old actor Ben Shimkus, which makes me, once again, why isn't this news? You run around RuPaul like he's an American treasure, and yet this is not news. If there was Christian something, this would be news, that they abused people. It would be news. I found this shit on a conservative site that clepted it off pink news. Uh, 25-year-old Ben Shimkus speaking on Busted News by phone from his job as an actor on board a cruise ship currently docked in Barbados. Shimkus calls how he came to communicate for several weeks via email in 2015. Sorry, the dog's losing his shit. Shimkus said he was referred to Mossy by another Cortland student. 
Night for Christmas, blah, 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 blah. Jeff taking steroids, put on muscles. Shimkus was told the role would involve wearing a series of bodysuits as the character grew larger and larger. He was repeatedly assured producers were interested in him and that we'd be paid $900 per week, blah, blah, blah. And they break down every one of these guys who had to do crude shit. They had a jerk off on video for a guy. In emails from February 2019, the young actor was repeatedly told he was being considered for production of bulk at Playwright Horizon. One email provided his body measurements, and another he sent a shirtless photo of himself flexing. He also said he filmed himself shirtless playing this disgusting character. Shimkiss, the actor whose Facebook status on Wednesday caused the other alleged victims to come forward, said he decided to go public after seeing Sherry Pie on Drag Race. She, she also recently appeared on the cover of New York Times, New York. With a larger platform, she has the ability to do this to more people. And I want wanted to fight against this. You can tell the Vogue people call him she, but his name's fucking Joey. Yeah. They're pervs. So they can be pervs. This is America. Get your perv on. Everybody has a kink. I got one. Everybody's got a kink. But that kink should be around kids and it shouldn't be on fucking TV as rated G. Oh, look at this great show. A bunch of guys dressed in drag or shoved on fucking Macy's Parade. School closes gender-neutral bathrooms after alleged sexual assault. This is the one we talked about where the dude cried and how we got freedom and we got a girl who said this is fucking horrible. Yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin high school has closed a gender-neutral bathroom after an 18-year-old student was arrested for fourth-degree assault, sexual assault, child enticement, and exposing his genitals to a child. Austin Sauer, a student at Ryan Handler High School, was arrested last week According to the Oneida County Sheriff's Office, as per Wisconsin law, fourth-degree sexual assault involves non-penetrative sexual content with a person without his or her consent. Many reports have not identified the sex of the minor victim. Captain Terry Hook from Sheriff's Office said the gender-neutral bathroom has now been closed and the school hasn't sent a message to parents because it was an isolated incident and the students have been removed from the school. The sheriff's office also said that the accused has not been charged and the investigation was still underway. In 2017, the Conservative Family Research Council compiled a list of 21 incidents of men assaulting or violating women's privacy in a bathroom. The group warned that non-discrimination laws that allow people to go into bathrooms based on their gender identity rather than their birth sex was giving sexual predators the opportunity and they were fucking right. And at December 18, a Wisconsin judge ruled that the town of De Pere must provide churches and religious organizations exemption to an LGBT non-discrimination ordinance, which was the bathroom bill. Violation of the ordinance could have resulted in the church and organizations being issued a fine or infraction. The ordinance was passed, blah, 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 blah. There you go. It's what we said. It's what we said. That's what was going to happen. UK police has reported, wait for it, from Tatiana McGrath, a piece of shit. In the past five years, UK police have recorded 120,000 non-crime hate incidents. This kind of police action is essential for too long. People have been not breaking the law and getting away with it. She wrote that, not breaking the law and getting away with it. Because you're not breaking the law. 
If you look closely at We Love Free Speech banner, you can see the border reads, Women equal adult human female. Remember when J.K. Rowling was canceled for tweeting, I stand with Maya? The Maya was Maya Forrester, who was booted from the Charitable Organization Center for Global Development for tweeting offensive exclusionary, blah, 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 blah. Hugh Jassy sums it up. Hurdy words are far more serious than stabby knives. Because that's the problem they have with illegals in Britain. But no. We're charging people for saying mean things. Misgendering. Jesus Christ. Angry about transphobia today? Here are some of the things you can do with the rageum sick and tired of being told the trans people are a threat to women, girls, and feminists. And I'm sick and tired of not being able to call this out for what it is. Transphobia! So there was an article in Scotland... This uh, complain about this article. Respond to Scotland Public Consultant on potential changes to the Gender Reconciliation Act. And, oh, Jesus Christ. Down the bottom. <clears throat> Month, set up a regular monthly donation to an organization helping trans people like mermaids. And I, I'm, I'm dead. That's it. Mm-hmm. Not reading anymore. Women use fake grinder account to harass a gay man and send his nudes to his family and friends. Ping News just scrounges up the weirdest shit. Trans allies pulling out a University of Oxford feminist conference over ties with clearly transphobic woman place. UK British feminists stood in solidarity with trans community and canceled plans to speak at a feminist conference citing its ties with the transphobic woman's place who actually believe women are women. The one they found, and by the way, in here is all the usual stuff. Uh, WPK also denied it is a hate group. TERFs have no place in feminism. TERFs. Trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Here's the one they found. I'm withdrawn from Women's Lib 50 conference tomorrow over their clear links with Women's Place UK. TERF links cut across university, women's services, and public institutions. They have no place in my vision or understanding of people, political possibilities that feminism offers us. Well, they're not real feminists. No. South Carolina sues over ban on LGBTQ mentions in sex education. South Carolina LGBT groups have sued to repeal a state law that bans mentions of non-heterosexual relationship in public school sex education classes unless the topic is sexually transmitted infection. I think that no student should have to be told by their health teacher that they can't talk about their identity. Eli Bundy said we've heard him before. I think that just, it really hurts a lot of teenagers, and I think it's definitely something that needs to change. The GSA, the Campaign for Southern Equality, and the Southern South Carolina Equality Coalition are plaintiffs in the lawsuit, and they're suing because they passed the same law Iowa did. They'll win. Yeah. Down at the bottom, that created a hostile climate for LGBT students, the suit said. It noted one student experience of harassment when a schoolmate threw a Clorox wipe at him, told him that he was diseased and that the stairway to hell with rainbow was rainbow colored, and kicked him in the chest. And that didn't happen. Trans migrants get poor health care and private prison inspector fines. What, because I couldn't get a sex change? Virginia is the first southern state to ban LGBTQ conversion therapy. I just wanted to cover that because that liberal Virginia, they're all going to get voted out. That's what I'm going to tell you. From the guns to all this shit that they have gone too far, man. They jumped the shark. 
They got power and they went fucking crazy. And it's the same thing the Dems do in Washington, and they get the boot. Drag queens hold kissing and Mexican mall that ousted same-sex couple. Over 100 protesters staged a kissing at a Mexican mall where a security guard ejected a same-sex couple for kissing. So they all came in and got vulgar. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. Arizona House passes bill to prevent males from competing in female sports. The bill now moves to the Senate. House representatives approve legislation that aims to protect the integrity of women's sports by barring biological males all, who all identify as female to save the Women's Sports Act. It passed 31 to 29. Whether someone is a sports fan or not, most view this as a matter of basic fairness, fairness, Representative Bardo said. Female student-athletes who should not be forced to compete in sport against biological men who inherently have psychological, uh, physiological advantages. Representative Kirsten Engel, the vote tonight was shameful. Political points for Republicans at the cost of our most vulnerable kids are transgender youth. I'm not proud of my state today. Lefties said no. Um, and then, I believe this is the last one. Yeah, and then we go into everything's racist. A uh, new San Francisco State facility helps trans students train their voices. And it's another one of those vocal conversion therapies. That's what people are calling it online. I think it's pretty funny. Trying to make them sound like women because you're not. Yeah, it, it's kind of, kind of, kind of stupid. Two, everything's racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Everything is racist. Everything is racist according to me. Everything is racist. Is it don't hold up? You know, Nina referenced um, Dr. Martin Luther King before saying that uh, he said from the Birmingham jail that we should be um, concerned about white moderates. That's actually not what Martin Luther King said. What he said is we should be worried about the silence of white moderates. Nina? She's making a language point. What what he said was we should worry about the silence of white moderates. And what we have in Joe Biden is a man who is not silent. He, he has a long record and many, many votes that in today's world feel like the wrong thing were the wrong thing. And he has discussed that over and over again, as Bernie Sanders did on the gun votes and other things. So we can be talking about votes from 20 years ago or we can be talking about people's values and right. who they trust. Last quick and point. that's what Joe Biden's going to be talking Last about. Last quick point to you, Nina. With the Reverend Chris, with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about, he said, it is the point that the white moderate wants things to be comfortable 
And instead of focusing in on that, the bigger threat is not necessarily the white uh, KKK member, but more the white moderate that is more comfortable you with know keeping what? things don't, the same. Don't use, like there don't is use no Martin Luther King against Joe Biden. You, you don't have that. Nobody, you don't have that First of all, I'm sorry. You, you don't. don't. Don't tell me what kind of standing you, I have you, as a black woman in America. How dare you? You have a lot of standing as a black woman in America. You don't have, have the say. standing you need to, to you attack need to, um, Joe Biden I mean, using Martin Luther King's words. I, I didn't attack point. anybody. You're taking it. You're taking it that way. Listen, don't dip into what I have to say about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. How dare you, oh, as no, a no, white no. woman, I'm not gonna try to tell me, no, no, try to tell me what I'm supposed to do and what I'm doing right now. I'm out of time on this. Chris, I didn't jump in on her, Nina, though. Well, and then she wants to jump in on me. Okay, first of all, it's not nobody jumping in on anybody. You guys are in the same party. This is what you guys have to figure out. You're in the same party. And let me tell you, you better keep that same energy when you're up against Trump that you have against each other. Because he is bigger and badder than I think you guys are ready for. But let's agree on this about Dr. King. Only light can drive out dark. That's some ballsy shit. That's that Hillary Rosen chick again. And once again, she's scolding a Bernie bro who's black and telling her what Martin Luther King says. Sana Seed, really cool to see a white liberal woman scold a black leftist woman on TV for correcting her on the mixed characterizations of MLK's words on white moderates in service of a white liberal man. And then Cuomo, Cuomo swoops in to scold both of them. Miss Dottie B., Hillary's trying to help prove Nina is not like a bull or for a soundbite, but what happens is MLK's quote happening in real time. CNN got nervous and cut it short, but Nina Turner back on explain it to the people. She is also condescending to Nina. I'm so sick of Biden supporters looking down on Bernie supporters. It turned into something totally different than what it should have been. Jake, so wrong too. I've almost... Reach the regrettable conclusion that the Negro great stumbling block and the stride towards freedom is not the white citizen counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice. It was racist as shit. But liberals get away with that. If that was a conservative telling a black female what... Martin Luther King said, gee, many crickets. Racist Jill Philippic, this thinks it'd be swell if white guys didn't run for president. That was an op-ed. How targeting Ilian Omar instead of white supremacy furthered both anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. That is a whole op-ed. Yet condemnation of Islamophobia and white supremacy were only added to the resolution after it was initially introduced, which pressure from black and progressive lawmakers. Given that, it was clear to many that the resolution did not come out of a sincere effort to put an end to real threats to Jews, but rather from an effort to target someone who is already a marked woman. Ilian Omar. Her race, religion, and gender make her vulnerable, and her vulnerabilities are our vulnerabilities. Anti-blackness, anti-Semitism, and Islamophobia all stem from the same source, white supremacy. That must be the real target of our resistance if we really want to combat bigotry and racist violence. This goes on and on and on, and I am like, you got to be kidding me. That lady's a fucking racist. But once again, you can say racist things, 
as long as you have a D after your name. Here is our climate change section. Okay. How dare you? It's not all about energy. It's about raising awareness for climate change in schools and all over Charlotte. Because here's the thing. Changes can be made. This is the first step to radical action and we need it to happen. How dare you? We will make sure they, that we put them against the wall. You know, you, you know, you're a pollutant. Too much CO2. So we have to get rid of the babies. That's a big problem. To stopping having babies and fighting that. We need to eat the babies. How dare you? That's Greta again. Yeah. That's Greta. What are we going to do with Greta? I don't know. Um, two articles first, then we'll do the Greta stuff. New York Times, you, YouTube must curb conspiracies like aliens, climate change, skepticism. That was actually an article. Eco-anxiety. Children are losing sleep and having bad dreams over climate change. Study finds. They surveyed 2,000 8 to 16 year old kids. This was all in London. The polls showed that young people are feeling frustrated and anxious about the state of the planet with 80% saying the problem of climate change was important to them and more than a third saying it was very important. Nearly three quarters added they are worried about the state of the planet, including 22% who say very worried. When asked about their futures, almost three in five children said they are concerned about the impact of climate change, and they went down to 17% who have nightmares. So where do they get that? Greta fucking Thunberg. When your house is on fire, you don't wait for a few more years to start putting it out. And yet, this is what the commission proposed today. So nothing she does is good enough, or nothing we do. Nothing anybody comes up. There's no resolution that's good. It just doesn't matter. She's always going to criticize it. And it makes you think, what the fuck, dude? They're doing a lot of stuff. We've actually improved, but it's never good enough because you have a political agenda. And that political agenda is to... Change the world to fucking socialist. That's what you want to do. 
So I skipped it last time, but I'm not going to this time. German team Naomi Seidt, S-E-I-B-T, the darling of climate change deniers. I could not find an article that wasn't negative on her. Linking her to Trump, Trump saying all sorts of horrible shit about her. So I'm just going to let her talk. Going to play her speech at CPAP, CPAC and one of her speeches from her YouTube channel, the Heartland Institute. She's a kid too, but she doesn't get the TV time that everybody else gets. And then we'll go into liberal shit. Hi, my name is Naomi Zeibt and I am a climate realist. I am not anti-Greta and I am not a climate denier. I am not a symbol for an agenda because we don't have an agenda. We as climate realists, our agenda is just fighting for freedom. And to address the many media rumors going on um, once and for all, I am not the puppet um, of the right wing or the climate deniers or the Heartland Institute either. Our work together is based on principles, on values that unite us. Well, the climate has always been changing. And so it's ridiculous to say that we deny climate change. It's been changing forever and it will continue to do so. And man vastly overestimates his power um, if he thinks that he can, with CO2 emissions, destroy the planet and mess with the um, vast complexity that is the self-regulation of the climate. And so, really, climate alarmists should be a little more humble when it comes to how much we as humans can and cannot do to ruin nature and to destroy the planet. And that really is what proves to me, um, as a climate realist, that climate alarmism is not really about the science in the first place. And it's all about fear-mongering and using panic to, as a tool um, to restrict our freedoms and to fight against our right to be skeptics and to impose policies on us that are based on just a bubble of lies and hysteria. Climate alarmism is pathetically hypocritical. So, dear climate alarmists, the recyclable paper sleeve wrapped around your coffee cup uh, with a plastic lid on it is doing nothing to save the planet. Every redundant step that you take to supposedly save the climate, which does not need saving from you in the first place, is doing nothing. And it's negated by your very, very privileged lifestyle that you seem to not be able to take for granted. And so please stop demonizing um, your own dependency on cheap and reliable energy sources and start thinking again and stop panicking. Your hypocrisy is truly blinding and it might boost your ego to collect a couple of climate justice points. But like I said, it's doing nothing to save the planet. So my message to you and to everyone out there, and especially the climate alarmists, is stop scratching at the surface of a deep, scientific, complex topic. 
stop spreading panic before looking into the science, before immersing yourself in the research. Stop shutting us down, the climate realists, and start having debates with us again. Activism is not noble if it's shallow. And so I don't want you to panic. I want you to think. Thank you. Thanks for watching this video. Please subscribe to our channel and consider donating to the Heartland Institute to support more vibrant free markets, greater individual liberties, and more videos like this one. Hallo allerseits. Es wird Zeit, wieder den Mund aufzumachen und sich zu wehren. Und, und lasst euch bitte nicht einseitig von Mainstream-Medien beeinflussen, informieren. Und an die Medien? An die Medien habe ich nur noch ein paar letzte Worte zu richten. How dare you? I don't want you to panic. I want you to think. You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! The 79-year-old talking openly about the grueling treatments, the side effects, the depression. I brushed that aside quickly because that would have been a massive betrayal. A betrayal of my wife and soulmate Jean, who has given her all to help me survive. It would have been a betrayal of other cancer patients who have looked to me as an inspiration and a, a cheerleader of sorts of the value of living and hope. So many rooting for Alex, including contestants. Did you come up with the right one? No? What is we love you out? That's very kind. Thank you. Cost you $19.95. Why did I play that? ABC edits out Trebek fighting his cancer not to portray God and prayers within it. And it would certainly have been a betrayal of my faith in God and the millions of prayers that have been said on my behalf. What made this edit particularly unfortunate was the fact that ABC had at once touted Trebek crediting prayer for helping him. I've had a couple million people out there express their good faith, their positive energy, and their prayers, but they took prayer out. Remember, just remember, boys and girls, there is no war on Christianity. It's all made up. Nobody's doing that. But why would you edit that? Virginia Hefferman, this is why you'd edit it. An idea from progressive Catholic theology might be useful for understanding Joe Biden and why we need him. Pater Patitur, the father suffers, 
Biden, unlike Trump, doesn't inflict suffering, but nor does he suffer for us. He suffers with us. We've seen this gracious and ultimately progressive model of fatherhood from Joe Biden in recent days on his run for Democratic presidential nominee. Of course, a father is a father, in this case a white one. Biden doesn't speak for the political social margins. Rather, he speaks from the head of the table, where likely or not, he's having his pot roast served to him by a woman. And that woman may be simultaneously fighting off a lunging animal rights protesters as Jill Biden, Joe's wife, and Simone D. Sanders, his campaign advisor, did during Biden's Super Tuesday speech. But we have... But we must have a white man as president, as we have had all but once in American history. Let it be a well-intentioned one, a self-critical one, one who suffers with us. People's responses, oh, he suffers from dementia. And another one, Trump will eat him alive. But you can get stupid people to get on board with liberal shit. Generation Helpless. Many millennials can't change a light bulb. As a quintessential handyman become a thing of the past, homeowners used to take pride in repairing and maintaining their homes all by themselves. But a recent survey of 2,000 young British adults find that many still need assistance with the simplest tasks like changing light bulbs. Unbelievably, some respondents even admitted to simply leaving a dead light bulb in place for more than three weeks before finally mustering up the courage to ask for help. Other simple fixes that respondents said they can't accomplish alone include putting up wallpaper, draining a radiator, painting, tidying up a loose cabinet door, fixing loose screws. Less than 25% of survey participants could call themselves good at DIY. And 13, about 1 in 8, flat out said their skills are poor. What's happening? They called dad, 50% of them, or mom, 45% of them, to come fix their stuff for them. Yeah. That's pretty bad. So, to our lighter fare, this aired live on TV. They never gave Amelia Culpa. This is MSNBC. Somebody tweeted recently that um, actually with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. I got it. Let's put it up yeah. on the screen. It, when I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg spent $500 million on ads. U.S. population, $327 million. Uh, don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American $1 million and have had lunch money left over. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's an incredible way of putting it. It's true. It's disturbing. It does, it does suggest, you know, what we're talking about here, which is there, there's too much money in politics. Uh, it turns out Mara and I got the same grades at math. I'm speaking of the tweet we both misinterpreted. He could give each American a dollar. Again, I didn't have it in high school. I don't have it tonight. Stand corrected. Sorry about that. The tweet is wrong. Garbage in, garbage out. My favorite response to this is math is a social construct, which pretty much sums up the left. Oh my God, you people are fucking stupid. Finally, a couple things on the corona, and then we'll do this as America and close this pig out. 
The head of the World Health Organization made a startling pronouncement this week when he estimated the global mortality rate at 3.4%. But then as the day goes on, people say, yeah, no, there's a whole bunch of people that have the disease that don't know they have a disease. So no, researchers from John Hopkins say mild case of coronaviruses are likely unaccounted for. It's going to be below 2%. But the WHO wants it to be that way because their rep went on TV to bash Trump. Secondly, they're writing articles, 15 million people dead, 2.4 million GDP hit. And tell me that wasn't written by a liberal. Yeah. I mean, things are bad. I'm not saying that. There's a, there's a case in Tennessee, one. But when I saw reports, like the Weather Channel. The Weather Channel was perfect liberalism. States of emergency... States declare states of emergency. On their little map, on the app, was six states. There's only three states. It was more than that. It was like eight states that have cases. But they're not doing state of emergency. They do the only three states that are declaring it. But they want to freak people out because it's election time. Come on. To say they're not politicizing it, you're full of shit. I mean, you're just full of shit. They got people spraying people in Costco with antiseptic as they come in. They have freaked people out. It's a serious disease, but it's running right about at the flu, which is what Trump said. For mortality rate. In areas that they didn't do anything, like China, sure, it's way higher. But it's not a global killer. It's not going to kill 15 million people. It's just not going to, but they, they want to scare people. Then there was this story. This sums up liberalism also. This was a grift. Bloomberg staffer explained campaign's demise. When Elizabeth Warren embarrassed Bloomberg on the debate stage, his lackluster campaign was effectively over. And you know why? Because his staff started diverting funds, A, and then to make things work, worse, sandbagging them. They started helping Bernie. No shit. Gigantic BuzzFeed behind the paywall. It, it is unfucking believable um, Most multiple people described elaborate schemes to undermine the campaign and help their favorite candidate. And one staffer exclaimed, I would actually canvas for Bernie what I was supposed to be canvassing for Mike. I know of at least one team of volunteers that was entirely fabricated by the organizer who had to hit their goals. It was easy enough to fudge the data to make it look like real people put in real volunteer work when in reality Mike was getting nothing out of us. Ever since the first debate, all of us faced a ton of hostility when knocking on doors and could hardly get any volunteers, one field organizer told me. I once had a woman chase me back in my car demanding that I say, you can't buy the presidency. That's the fucking left. Then there's U.S. as pervasive intel. Taliban do not intend to abide by terms of peace deal, which is exactly what I said it was going to be. And for next podcast, I wanted to mention it because I'm looking forward to this article, but I don't have enough time today. No cell signal, no Wi-Fi, no problem. Growing up inside America's 
quiet zone, an actual town where there is no Wi-Fi service. People own phones, but they just don't work. So we're going to have our This is America. It's New York again. It is a horrible video of a youth getting curb stopped by a bunch of African-American kids. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America in 2019. I got the strap. The video is disturbing. Police are trying to find the group of teenagers who viciously attacked a 15-year-old girl in Brooklyn. She's now recovering. CBS 2's Dave Carlin reports from Crown Heights. It's brutal and heartbreaking surveillance video. The victim is a 15-year-old girl with high school-aged boys taking turns, beating, stomping, and kicking her, then taking her sneakers, phone, and debit card. Police say the 4 p.m. attack at the corner of Utica Avenue and Sterling Place on Thursday may have been some form of retaliation for an incident earlier in the day. For so many kids to jump on one individual, it's, it's just it's ridiculous. Carlita Garden, who works at a salon, came outside when she heard screaming, and she saw the young victim. Her boot bag, she was lying on her boot bag, no shoes, just sitting on, on the floor with no shoes. Police say in the video, these are the victim's stolen shoes in the hands of one of the suspects. The NYPD Brooklyn North tweeted this Friday, saying, outrage, this is sickening video of a 15-year-old girl viciously attacked by a group of school children. Police sources say some of the young suspects have already contacted the police precinct station house about turning themselves in. And that is also the understanding of longtime community activist Tony Herbert, who says the victim is his cousin. She's traumatized right now. She's in a bit of pain. You've spoken to the mother personally. What is she telling you? Mom is mom is just devastated right now. To think that she sent her daughter to go to school, to turn around to hear that she was a victim of an assault. Then you see the little one holding her sneakers running away like, come on. Like, it's sad. We, we have to do better as a community. I have never witnessed nothing like that yet in my life. And to see such a small kid just tramping on one kid is what's crazy. That's Anita PV, who owns an electronics store and happens to be a nurse. She locked up and ran out to help the injured victim who suffered head injuries. She lost an evening's worth of business, but she says more than that, there is lost faith in the boys involved. She's hoping it will be quick to get each and every one of them in custody. In Crown Heights, Brooklyn, Dave Carlin, CBS 2 News. Now, Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams condemned the attack. Recently, the NYPD assigned more than 300 officers to serve as youth coordinators to crack down on crimes where offenders are younger than 18 years old. There's been hundreds of those videos. Hundreds. Happens all the time up there. Usually on a white victim that they single out and knock out. The knockout game. Do we remember that? But there's no national media going to touch that shit. They're African-American kids. So if you do that, you're racist. So they just ignore it. And it's fucking atrocious. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, Tuna Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out our Facebook page at Foppodcast and our Twitter page at Fop 
Tony Reed. Our next podcast will be the 11th of March, year of our Lord, 2020. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Spend time with your family. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yes. Stay warm or cool or I don't know where I'm living. It's cold and warm. It's going back and forth. Then tune back in next Wednesday for another show. As always, my friends, thanks for listening and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.